What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> Let's just jump into it. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everyone survives the oncoming uh, death storm from uh, snow and ice. <laughs> I, don't think, I think that was a little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> no, 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 it's like it's 50-something today. What? Yeah. It won't stick. No, there's nothing that's going to stick. Today's guest, Mr. John McGregor. I appreciate you coming by. And honestly, you're one of the people I've wanted to have on the most because I feel like you can talk about just about everything. Um, <laughs> You, you kind of raise your eyebrow at that, but I, I, I truly think that if I ask you about a species, you'd probably know something about it. Would you say so? I'd make something up if I didn't know. No, that, that's perfect, <laughs> and that's the true that's, expert way, that's right? What I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, you know, I thought about trying to tell the folks who uh, who you were, but at the same time, I've always found that writers like Lee here mm. are much better at that than I am. Mm. So I happened to find an article written by Byron Crawford about mm -hmm. you. A very, oh, wow. a very short article. So I was going to read this real quick. Yeah, I thought Byron did a pretty good job of summarizing, you know, kind of giving a little background here. So this is a Byron Crawford article from two years ago in Kentucky Living. And I'll just read it. <clears throat> a neighbor found a small, non-venomous brown snake in his garden and gave it to John McGregor when John was about five years old. McGregor smiles, reflecting on how the unusual gift helped spark his lifelong career studying snakes and a host of salamanders, frogs, bats, shrews, and other non-game species. You're the non-game guy, John, right? Mm -hmm. When I was a little kid, I got interested in nightcrawlers, and I had all these cans of nightcrawlers in the garage. I had a red wagon and would pour a little bit of water on the wagon and get it nice and damp. Then I'd put some nightcrawlers in the wagon and let one can race against the other. <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> I never thought of nightcrawlers. Nightcrawler yeah. racing. We used to you know, crawl when you're dead. a weird kid, that's kind of what well, you do. We did crawl dead fights. You know, we go get two crawl deads from the creek and put them there, and they never would fight, but we'd always thought it looked cool, you know? So it's kind of this, because those worms weren't really racing. We right? were flying in bugs, <laughs> the bigger ones. We'd tie a string on their leg and fly them until the leg wore off and then they'd fly away. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about the green June bugs? Yeah, the big yeah. ones. Yeah. The, I call those fig beetles. They do. <laughs> and to me, a June bug is, a, they're brown. Uh. And they fly at night and land on your porch. Mm -hmm. But in Kentucky, a June bug is a green fig beetle and they fly during the day. There you go. I'm going to yeah. keep going here. And so from from the story about nightcrawlers, it says, McGregor is today the state herpetologist and a legend among many of his peers. Sonny Carleach, former manager of the state's wildlife diversity program. And well, this is two years old, like I said. Uh, well, I'm currently executive director at Nature, at Kentucky Nature Preserves. He said he is undoubtedly one of the best naturalists to ever practice here in the state. It's a pretty good compliment, right? Mm -hmm. It says, uh, a native of suburban Columbus, Ohio, and a graduate of Ohio State University, McGregor became a fan of the University of Kentucky sports as a teenager while listening to the memorable play-by-play -play of his all-time favorite sports broadcaster, the late Kay Wood Leffert. Heck yeah. yeah oh, we love Kay Wood. He's a legend. Oh, we ride around the country and listen to Kay Wood. I used to lay on the floor of my bedroom listening to Kay Wood, Kay Wood Leffert. Kay Wood Leffert. My, my grandfather loved him, too. It says you later earned a master's degree at UK, and uh, you and your wife Lois settled in Jessamine County. And a quote from you, I decided a long time ago that where I wanted to live was pretty limited. I wanted to live somewhere that had a good diversity of salamanders, he says. So did you find that, Jessamine County? It, well, not so much in Jessamine, but yeah. in Kentucky. Okay, very diverse, yeah. right? We're going to have to jump more into that. Yeah, yeah the problem with Jessamine County is it's in the bluegrass. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the bluegrass has a 
not much of a diversity of anything. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're going to have to explain, because I've talked to you about that before, as far as rattlesnakes and things and why they aren't here. We're going to have to dive into that. From there, the article goes into your career. It says, he joined the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources in 1981 and is trapezed across parts of every county in Kentucky, exploring caves, streams, swamps, meadows, and mountains, while gathering information on rare and endangered species and the distribution of everything from the cottonmouth water moccasin to the plains leopard frog, which he found in Fulton County in 2011. Was that the first record of a leopard frog in Kentucky, the Fulton County one? The Plains Leopard Frog. The Plains yeah. Leopard Frog. So that was a species that you in 2011 had... Hey, that was exciting. That, I'm sure it was. I had no no idea they were in the state. Yeah. And I'm driving down the road. Uh-huh. <clears throat> it's 90 degrees, a uh, baking hot day, and there's this leopard frog sitting in the road. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, that's weird. So I drove up beside it. I thought, well, I'm going to at least get the coordinates where it is. I looked down and, holy cow, that doesn't look right. Yeah. That's, that's not a southern leopard frog. So, of course, it jumps off the road into the weeds, and I chased it back and forth <laughs> across the road. And finally caught it. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a, a plains leopard frog. Yeah. I've only seen those once before in my life. Huh. So, that's hey, really that was cool. exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet you were over the moon about that one. Oh, you? yeah. And then the final sentence of that of that uh, paragraph is an important one. It <clears throat> says, yes, he's been bitten by a copperhead. That's the yeah. last sentence. Well, that's that. one of my questions later. Yeah, yeah, everybody wants to know about getting bit by a copperhead, don't they, John? Uh, it's painful. <laughs> well, I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I've never tried it, personally. I try to avoid it, yeah. You know, when you lift up a car hood and it's got two copperheads and two racers. Yeah. You, you don't try to catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> I had one copperhead and both racers, and then I was mm-hmm. trying to pick up the other one. I do want to talk about copperhead bites, because that's something that everybody, you know, there's a little bit of misinformation probably on copperhead bites. People probably think they're just like rattlesnake. Maybe we should talk about the difference in a copperhead mm-hmm. and a rattlesnake mm-hmm. at some point today. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to finish this out real quick. It says, <clears throat> beyond his extensive field work, McGregor handles on average about 600 public inquiries each year about reptiles, amphibians, vermin, various insects, and unusual fungi or plants. He served as the U.S. Forest Service Endangered Species Specialist in the Daniel Boone National Forest for 10 years during the 90s, but returned to Fish and Wildlife where he's still working at age 77. Is that 79 now, John? Yep. 79. Currently... Hopefully I won't be here another year, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Currently he is co-authoring a field guide to the state's reptile and amphibians with University of Kentucky professor Stephen Price and Eastern Kentucky University professor Stephen Riker. Richter. Richter, I'm sorry. Many evenings after going home, he Mm -hmm. ventures out again in search of salamanders along the rock outcroppings in Jessamine County. He and Lois have two daughters and four grandsons, one of whom plans to be, you guessed it, a herpetologist. So that's what Byron Crawford had to say about you two years ago. And we've added a granddaughter since then. Oh, yeah, well, congratulations. Um, maybe two herpetologists now. Uh, we're still at, we're still at one. <laughs> still at the one. Yeah. So I thought that Byron did a pretty good job, kind of giving an overview of of John. You know, mm-hmm. as far as kind of kind of a little bit of the early life. Of the I career. used to go out with Byron Crawford quite a bit. Yeah. He, he was on the show before. He's been on Kentucky mm-hmm. Field, and he's a he's a sports writer, right? Now he's is he well, his son. His son. He did, Byron. He, he did, did features. Yeah, he did a. Uh, off, off, on the side roads with Byron Crawford. He did that for WHAS-TV for yeah. eons. And he wrote for, um, I believe, Courage Journal and stuff. He'd write for different things. Yeah. Just yeah. going out and interviewing interesting people, usually in rural Kentucky. And uh, 
Uh, I watched him growing up. Yeah, his son works for uh, Fox 41, I think. And that's Eric Crawford. That's oh, Eric. Okay, yeah. He's a sports guy. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, uh, Do you remember watching him? Did you ever watch Byron Crawford? Did you watch that show, On the Side Roads? No. Hmm. He was on yeah. Kentucky Living, too. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he had a show on there. I forgot. He had a show on KD. So, John, last week when we were talking back and forth about doing this podcast, you mentioned in an email that a crow is your spirit animal. Mm-hmm. What, what I was just kidding. <laughs> I wanted to know why, though. No. Some Native Americans consider crows to be. To, to have. No, I, I just don't understand people going out and shooting crows. Shooting crows? Well, yeah, you don't I eat mean, them. So. Yeah. The, uh, if you shoot something, you ought to eat it. What is your spirit animal if we had to? If you did have one, do you have one? Maybe is no too many to count. If I if I had a spirit animal, it would be a salamander. A salamander. Mm-hmm. I've always thought about it, and I've always have you ever thought about your spirit animal? Lee? It would be a raptor, probably. A raptor? No, just a bird of some kind. I just. Yeah. I've always liked the birds of prey too. Mm-hmm. For that, I've always liked cats just because they are apex predators. But the only cat we have right now is a bobcat. I just wish it weighed a little more. It's still mm-hmm. a little small for me. Mm-hmm. But the black bear is cool, too. And I think I told you that in an email, John. That yeah. They're so versatile. Woodland animals that can forage or hunt or do pretty much whatever they need. And they kind of have a, a, a clumsy personality, a little bit eat, like me. Eat Doritos. Like, yeah, they can. <laughs> I, like, I do like pizza from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that they do as well. The pizza we have a horrible. funny picture with the Domino's box. I think it's from Kingdom Come State Park. And a black bear with a Domino's box running across the road. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. In his mouth. It was neat to see black bears in Kentucky, mm-hmm. finally. Yes. And, and it was a kingdom come where I first saw them. Oh, really? Have you ever been on the Little Shepherd Trail? You know the road, and there's no. some, yeah, there's no, some mountain bog habitat on there, correct? Um, that they got, got they know, were small, the ones I saw. They tried to fence them off. Yeah, those, the, we built, uh, the department built ponds there. Along the Little Shepherd Trail on Pine Mountain, WMA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was right before I came back. So it was like 2001, 2002. And Brian Gray was the uh, mm-hmm. manager down there. So they put in like 55 water holes mm-hmm. along the Little Shepherd Trail. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things I did when I got here is I started going down there and checking those for amphibians. And every one of them had wood frogs breeding in it. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Hmm. Before those were put in, wood frogs bred. They bred in road ruts mm-hmm. where people slide off the road and get stuck. Yeah, not a safe yeah. place to breed either. Huh? Well, you know, mm-hmm. more people. Tend there to are a lot of amphibians that breed in road ruts. Yeah. Hmm. I know. I've Some noticed. even prefer, you know, like mountain chorus frog, American toad. Uh-huh. They will breed in a muddy road rut, and they will ignore. A nice woodland pond. They lay eggs. The tadpoles develop pretty quickly. Uh, the reason they like those vernal pools and road ruts is the lack of predators there, right? Right. There are no fish. Yeah. Uh, the mm. big predator in that uh, makes sense. in a lot of Kentucky is is the red spotted newt. Mm-hmm. Mm. Newts are kind of the top predators in ponds, and they feed on the eggs and on the larvae of other things. Okay. And you see those all over the place. Yeah. yeah, but if you have a, a pond that's there, a permanent pond, it's going to be full of newts. Yeah, hmm. and so, so hmm. essentially the way I understand it, these amphibians like the frogs and the salamanders you're talking about, they wait for the spring rains to come and create a vernal pool or something that doesn't typically hold water over the course of the year. That way they know there's no fish in there. 
and I guess other predators. Well, I don't know that they know that. That's just that's just what's bred <laughs> into them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's more it's instinct more than anything else. And you know, some of that is is in- incredible to me. I think that's the most amazing thing about wildlife and nature is the instinct. How are they born? Knowing how to, you know, like the birds who make a migratory flight or a monarch. How do they know to do that? And uh, also yesterday I was talking to my fiance Kristen and she was talking about honey locust trees, the ones with all the thorns on them mm-hmm. and how they... Those are the trees you don't park under. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you want flat tires. Yeah. Well, but she said they developed those thorns as a mechanism, you know, thousands or millions of years ago to keep, uh, n- not mammoths, but another animal similar to that from pushing them over and eating all those bean pods. And I just thought it was absolutely amazing that mm-hmm. a tree could develop something like thorns as a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Well, you see anything that you think is really interesting as far as things that animals have the ability to do? Something that the average yeah, I mean, person like did. Everybody knows they about monarchs. The yeah. Everything has something. ability to do something. Yeah. You know, getting back to the vernal ponds and the amphibians, uh-huh. you know, people have done a lot of research on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, just as an example, when I worked for the Daniel Boone, <clears throat> we bought a tract of land in Lee County from a, a guy named Oval Gross. Uh, and it was forested and there was a pond there and it was full of stunted bluegill. I mean, mm-hmm. Dan Dorson ca- called them goggle-eyed bluegill. Mm-hmm. I mean, skinny, you know. Mm-hmm. They were never going to amount to much of anything. But those bluegill ate the eggs of everything that tried to breed in that pond. So we went down there and we got one of those hoses on you know the drain mm-hmm. hoses that people attach to their gutters and ran it into the pond and suctioned we suctioned all the water and the bluegills out of the pond and and then let it refill the next year and the next year it had wood frogs jefferson salamanders oh, spotted wow. salamanders cope's great and had all these amphibian mm-hmm. species breeding in it that had bred in it every year but the bluegill wiped them out. The bluegill wiped them out. Huh. So, or they didn't bother breeding because the bluegill were there. Hmm. And then when the bluegill were gone, the water no longer smelled like bluegill, and so they. I can sense that. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. The difference in just one year. I guess that makes sense. The uh, they could you know smell or taste the water and know what's yeah. there. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and we're just learning to do that with, mm-hmm. you know, people doing research now using eDNA, mm-hmm. which is environmental DNA. Mm-hmm. And so you can take a water sample mm-hmm. uh, and you can filter that and you can look at the DNA that's in the water sample. Oh, wow. And you can know what's living in that, that, is in great. that pond or that creek. You know, it's, it's still in its early stages. Mm-hmm. I think, are our guys using that for hellbenders potentially? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that's where I yeah. heard. Our yeah, we had a, we had a big hellbender study in uh, in the mid two thousands mm-hmm. with a guy from Ohio, and he spent four years in Kentucky, and he he found one good hellbender site, mm-hmm. and then three other hellbenders mm-hmm. in four years. Oh wow! But the end of the study, they did eDNA, hmm. and so he sent a guy from UK out to collect water samples. I think they collected 41 samples out of rivers and streams. 37 of them were positive for hellbenders. Mm. So his report was that either Kentucky has hellbenders everywhere mm. <laughs> or 
Kentucky or Hellbenders are really rare in Kentucky. Yeah. And he and he couldn't say which. Mm -hmm. But uh, then what was really interesting the the last few years we've had a. A, a PhD student at UK, and she is also working on eDNA. But one of the things that she figured out was that the the DNA work that the guy did in the mid two thousands did not distinguish between hellbenders and mud puppies. Oh, <laughs> so mud so, puppies are everywhere, yeah. and mud puppies are everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so she's gone back and collected more samples from all those sites. And yeah, that's a mistake. But <laughs> still, about a quarter of the sites had have hellbender DNA. But then going back and trying to document that yeah. is really tough because mm -hmm. they are underneath the big rocks underwater. Uh, Good friend of mine I caught a huge one fishing Licking River one time. Uh, I reported it to you. Okay. Was it a hellbender or a mud puppy? No, it was a hellbender. Okay. I mean, it, Oh, and the licking. Snot otter, you know, some people call those growing up. Or I hate that term. Mud dog or, you know, snot, water dog. Snot otter. Mm -hmm. Whoever came up with that? I just said, you know, growing up, that's what people call them. I mean, you actually use that? No, I called them uh, uh, mud puppies or water dogs. That's okay. what we call them. I mean, Mainly like, water dogs. You know, like in southeast Kentucky, it's a legged catfish. Which is, like which is, that's, that's, I love it. That's a neat name. I, 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 I've never had heard that one before. Legged catfish. You know, you never heard snot otter before? I, I'd heard that before. Snot otter, that comes from Ohio, you know. Oh, we all like that. Yeah, no. <laughs> John's, from John's from Ohio, too, though, yeah. 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 We, we really need a border wall. You know? <laughs> My dad lives in Ohio. We're going, actually, probably close to you, Grove City is where he lives, oh, okay. right? Just south of Columbus. When I saw it, it said you're from the suburbs of Columbus, I was thinking, so let him come down, let's celebrate our birthdays this upcoming Sunday, and then we'll build the wall. And I need him to make it down for this one trip. So. Well, <laughs> my wife has a T-shirt about building wall, and it's the Ohio-Michigan border. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I went to high school with Woody Hayes' son. He, oh, wow. He and I were really good friends. We were both second string on the football team. Oh, really? And, uh, but, uh, yeah. That, I was watching the game, the infamous last game, where he punched the Michigan player. You oh, know, I, this is this is like a seventy-year-old, five-foot-ten man mm -hmm. running out on the field after a <laughs> six-foot-six guy in football equipment. <laughs> I, I was watching it with my grandfather. I grew up. I was a Boy Scout, and we ushered at the uh, Ohio State home games. And oh, really? So they, our troop got stuck in the it was the visitor section up in the upper deck. Mm -hmm. And what I really hated was the first game always used to be either. Texas Christian or uh, SMU. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they would, their fans would be sitting up there and they would, they all had their booze, you know, mm -hmm. and, their, uh, and their fake binoculars that had a spout, you know. <laughs> so, so we're up there and we're trying to, you know, get them in their seats and everything. And they were, they'd pour their booze into our. Cokes, or Pepsi's, try to get try to get the Boy Scouts drunk. Oh, really? <laughs> and then about sometime in the second half, there would be fistfights. Mm -hmm. It would be one guy, you know, said something about another guy or another guy's wife or whatever. And even though the stadium was packed, yeah, a huge big circle would clear. <laughs> there'd be two drunk guys from from Texas. <laughs> the upper decks, Swinging fists at each other. The Boy Scouts were there to take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> so one of us would have to go and try to get security. You know. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, it was, 
<laughs> it, it was first home game every season. That was the one. Everybody was pent up and just waiting for it. Mm -hmm. They were ready to break out the you know first mm -hmm. time of the year. Mm -hmm. I can see that. It's funny. Yeah. But it was always those teams from Texas, you know. Never had any problems with people from Michigan or, mm -hmm. and, you know. Nah, that's surprising, that's considering the hatred that's, you know. Yeah, it's not real. It's, it might be now. I don't know. Now that Ohio State's lost a few in a row, mm -hmm. they might be starting to hate them. It's kind of like Kentucky and Tennessee, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, in basketball. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I can't stand Tennessee, though. Mm -hmm. But that's just me personally. Well, I, yeah, I root for Tennessee unless they're playing Kentucky. There you go. I can, mm -hmm. I can handle that. Because that way, if we beat them, by God, it means something. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, they're, if they're having a bad year and we beat them, that doesn't, it doesn't mean, anything. mean anything. I hear you. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna try to get us back on track real quick. I have a, I have a, I have turtles written in, then I have a box drawn around it, John, and that is for box turtles. Um, I got a question for you about box turtles. Well, actually, we had two questions. We had somebody ask us a question. Okay. Is it okay to help turtles cross the road? Yeah, um, I do it all the time. Yeah, that's but what you want to put the turtle on the side of the road he's walking toward. That uh, oh, okay. That question came from. Uh, an individual on Instagram, is it okay to help turtles cross the road? The reason I wanted to bring that one up is I've heard a rumor before that box turtles, you know, you see kids sometimes who find a box turtle and then they decide to take that box turtle home with them. I've heard that... Uh, I've been guilty of that. Yeah. Well, is it true that they have like a home range? Oh, well, they do. So yeah. how does that work? They know, they know that area. Uh -huh. And they know where the water is. They know where the where the mushrooms will grow. Yeah. You know, mushrooms are a major part of their diet. Okay. Uh, insects, they, they know the area, they know where to hibernate. And if you take them out of that home range, it's like it's like they're starting from scratch. Uh -huh. uh, now, people have done research with <coughs> translocating box turtles, mm -hmm. where you take captive ones or uh, box turtles confiscated by a uh, conservation officers or whatever and you put transmitters on them and you take them out and release them in a in good habitat what happens to them well they don't do quite as well as the, as the natives mm -hmm. but they do surprisingly well okay. um, huh. most of them will establish a, a new home range but you have to release them at a decent time of year you know like maybe April May June July if you wait too late in the year be, yeah, they won't have time the to later, establish that. Yeah, everything. the later in the year, the, the worse they're going to do. Because they might have trouble finding water or finding a, okay. an area where they can dig down. That makes and sense. When they overwinter, they, they kind of they start beneath the leaf litter, and then as it gets colder, they kind of dig down further. Mm -hmm. And if they're in a place where there's, there's not very much soil, mm. that can be bad. Is it illegal to collect box turtles? You're not allowed to grab them anymore, correct? Um, Kentucky has fairly permissive laws. You're allowed to keep for personal use up to five of any amphibian or reptile. Hmm. There, there are exceptions. <laughs> uh, the copper belly water snake is mm -hmm. protected. Uh, alligator snapping turtle. Hmm. Uh, Kirtland snake. So basically, if it's a protected species, that's different. Yeah. But if it's just a general species yeah. that was pretty abundant, yeah, like, in the state. yeah, like you could, you're you're fine with picking up and keeping up to five snapping turtles or box turtles or soft shells, timber rattlesnakes, mm -hmm. timber rattlesnakes, yeah, whatever you might want. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's funny because you know, we prohibit. 
keeping venomous snakes. Uh, they're listed as inherently dangerous, but if they're native venomous snakes, yeah. like you can have five cotton mouths in your living room. Hmm. You can. Yeah. You know, unless this, unless you're living you're living in Lexington, the city bans it. Which mm. Some cities have ordinances. The city has an ordinance. Lexington has a. I, I don't know if Lexington. Oh, that'd be great, especially if it was specifically cottonmouths, mm. just the cottonmouths. Yeah, that would be weird. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but there are some weird rules out there too, though. So no, but that that's something I'd heard I, because I guess there are exemptions for maybe some religious reasons too on some of those, the snakes. Uh, you know, I, I'm not real sure on how that works. Yeah, well, they can have the five. What does it feel like to be bit by a copperhead, John? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I was probably 20 years old when I was bitten by a copperhead. And, you know, when you're 20 years old, it's you find a copperhead, you're going to pick it up. Mm -hmm. you know? I was 20, I didn't. Copperhead, <laughs> rattlesnake. Well, if I saw a rattlesnake and hunted, you'd see me running over the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I was out snake hunting with a friend of mine. We were both Ohio State students. And I lifted up a car hood, and there are two black racers and two copperheads. Yeah. And my parents were out of town. <laughs> <coughs> and so I had, and they didn't want me having venomous snakes. That's how every great story they starts. Were, they were mm -hmm. going to be gone for a couple of weeks. So I had set up a like a 29-gallon terrarium in the garage. And I decided, okay, I'm going to catch a copperhead and keep it till just before they get back. So anyway, I'm trying to c catch these snakes, and John, the other John Martinet, the other guy, has the, the pillowcase. Hmm. So I said, John, I, I got two copperheads and two racers, and I had I had one copperhead that I pinned and picked up, and then I had a racer beneath this arm and one beneath <laughs> that arm, and I'm trying to pick the other copperhead up, and just as he's coming over toward me, I'm, I I could feel something moving. In my fingers, and I look over there, and the copperhead had just moved the side of his jaw and just goes, <laughs> plunges a fang into my thumb, Ooh. and I could see him, could see him go, squeezing. I mean, yeah. squeezing the venom, and, and I thought, uh oh, huh? Said, so, I don't feel a thing, and then, and then it hit me. I mean, it was like hot metal. It's, it's like when you're a kid, you're at the swimming pool and you step on a lit cigarette mm -hmm. and it sticks to the bottom of your foot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like hot metal, molten metal injected into my thumb. I bet. God, that hurt worse than anything. That, <coughs> Did you immediately to the hospital? Well, we were in Shawnee State Forest in Southern Ohio. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to the hospital. It was Sunday afternoon. So, you know, we went ahead and put the snakes in the bag and <clears throat> went to the hospital. And, you know, it was, my thumb was just throbbing, mm -hmm. you know, and starting to swell up. So we get to the hospital and go into the emergency room. And <clears throat> so I tell them I've been bitten by a copperhead. And so the nurse says, oh, it probably wasn't a copperhead. You know, by then my thumb is, mm -hmm. you, the proof you know, the it's all purple, you know, and all that stuff. And so she gets out this kid's book, the first book of snakes. It has these <laughs> bad drawings. Now, can you point to the snake that bit you, you know, in this, and John, John says, well, we've got the copperhead out in the car. Do you want me to bring it in? Yeah. <laughs> she says, no, no, that's all right. 
So they called the doctor, and then the, the, the two nurses on duty are telling me about, oh, old man, Jacobs, he lost his arm from a copperhead bite. Mm-hmm. Someone's dog had to have, you know, had to have a leg amputated, and I hear all these horror stories. So the doctor finally gets there, and he says, well, <clears throat> he says, it's, it's just a copperhead bite. It's going to be painful, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's not going to do any permanent damage. Yeah. Uh, so, can they kill you? A copperhead bite? Uh, it's extremely rare. You know, I I've looked up. So I got a tetanus shot, and he sent me on the, on my way. Hmm. And that's because we'd been out turning over, Tens. you know, metal and stuff around falling down barns. And mm-hmm. I've heard there can be an you could be allergic to it. That would be the mm-hmm. real. Is that is that true? That's possible. Okay, that, that's like the people who might have a bad reaction to something like yeah. a copperhead. But you know, in the the old antivenins they used to have were made from horse serum, and people were allergic to that. So sometimes the treatment for the snake bite was worse than was worse bite. than the snake bite itself. Mm, that makes sense. Have you ever had a rattlesnake strike at you? I'm sure you. Uh, I'm sure you've heard them a million oh, times. Yeah. But have you ever had one lunge? Not at me. I mean, I, they will. They will. They will sometimes strike, but it's kind of a bluff. Now, what's the difference in a copperhead and a rattlesnake as far as the venom goes? Because the rattlesnake would be much worse to be bitten by, right? Yeah, I mean, a, a rattlesnake bite can be fatal. Um, I think the statistics on it is well, it's a, it's under five percent if you seek no treatment at all. Hmm. Uh, and if it's a bad bite. It could kill you. Uh, if you seek medical treatment, it's virtually 100% you're going to survive. This is a timber mm. rattlesnake. And that's a timber rattlesnake. Yeah. Now, some of the other rattlesnakes have are larger and have more venom. Diamondbacks. And then there are differences mm-hmm. in, the, uh, you, you know, in, the, in the venom quality. Mm-hmm. You'd have to talk to Jim Harrison. He knows all about that, the Kentucky Reptile Zoo guy. Because mm-hmm. he produces venom mm-hmm. for research. Now, the, the only fatalities we have had from snake bites in the state have been people who haven't seeked medical attention. And it was the, yeah. the rattlesnakes. Yeah, you, can, you can go online and Google uh, fatal snake bites in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can go back into the 50s. And I think there have been six oh, wow. snake bite deaths in Kentucky in all that time. Every one of them was a timber rattlesnake. Every one of them was in a church, sir, a religious service. Yeah. From what I heard, they mm-hmm. refuse to get medical treatment because of the religious mm-hmm. aspect of it. Some yes. of them do, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so those are the ones. And, and they usually survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, like people who run their dogs in eastern Kentucky and western Kentucky, there's copperheads. And occasionally these beagles, the rabbit dogs, will get bit, you know, by a copperhead. And most, I mean, those dogs tend to be just fine, too. You know, they might take them to the bed if it's on the neck or in an area that could swell up. You know, their, yeah, their face will swell up. Yeah. yeah. But it won't kill a, a 25-pound beagle, so most people should probably be okay. Yeah, a copperhead bite is, I would I would have said that it's never fatal, but there have been in other states that every once in a while there's a copperhead fatality. So all those years of lifting up tins and traipsing through the woods and all, that's the only time a copperhead has ever struck at you? Was well, it's the only time I've ever been bitten by one. Yeah. Now, copperheads are... I really like that. That would be my spirit animal. Would be the copperhead. They're beautiful snakes. <laughs> they are, um, and I and I find hundreds of them every year. And 
normally you, you uncover a copperhead and it just sits there. Mm -hmm. it, it relies on its coloration. Uh, I mean, they're, they're pretty mild-mannered. Um, or you find one that's, that's out you know, in the open in the leaf litter and they pretty much just lay there. And once they know that you see them, yeah, and they can tell, and, and they, they will, their head will just go, you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. okay, this copperhead knows that I see it. Mm -hmm. And then if you kind of back off a little bit, it'll slowly crawl off. Now, sometimes they'll crawl off in a hurry. Yeah. You know, if it's a hot day and they're mm -hmm. out in the sun. But, uh, you know, they, they want to get away. Is, I, is there any truth to the, if you're the second person down the trail, you'll get nailed by the copperhead, or is that old wives' tale? Well, I don't know. Uh, I'll be honest I've never I, seen it. I disagree with it completely. That's just me. But, Have you ever heard that? Well, It's I'll, the third person, and it's the yellow jackets. Oh, okay. It's completely <laughs> different. We do, uh, we used to, so before I worked at Fish and Wildlife, I did a lot of races. We hosted races, and we hosted one in the Red River Gorge that was a half marathon, and they run the trails. And we'd started the people in waves. Every five minutes, we'd send 50, because you can't send 400 people all at once. Okay. And so I'd send that first wave, and then I'd tell the second wave before I started them that you guys don't worry, they're going to get all the snakes and stuff out of the way for you. <laughs> you know, those first 50 people down the trails. Mm -hmm. But marking those trails at night, because we'd go out and mark them the day before, if you, or the night before. If you went out the day before, people would mess with your markings and take them all down. So mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Ain't people great. Yeah. So we had to do it in the dark, and walking those trails at night, you'd be amazed how many guys with a, a headlamp on. I mean, you'll see copperheads all over the place at night out there. And most of them, like John said, I mean, you almost have to shoo them out of the path or step over them or walk around because they, they don't necessarily want to move for you. They're just kind of laying there. I think it's something to do with the sun hitting the path possibly and warming the path up, keeping it warm later into the evening. That's just my theory. You probably know more about that than me. But the open canopy, I think, warms the path up. It makes them want to come out to it. But See, I think they're along the path because <coughs> the path will be used by small mammals, mm -hmm. insects. Mm. It's a food source. It, yeah, and, so, night, yeah. and it's e easy for them to, to trail, yeah. you know, a, mm. a cicada or a big caterpillar or a white-footed mouse on a path mm -hmm. rather than trying and having something that is going from leaf to leaf. Mm -hmm. yeah. That makes sense. But I've only had one that struck. and Well, like, you know, just excessively. Well, and it, it was just kind of randomly doing it. It was just striking. And I wasn't even that close to it, but I think that snake was in shed. And yeah. I, I think his eyes were clouded over. I don't think he could see. And yeah, when when their eyes are clouded over and they can't see very well, mm -hmm. that's when they're really... Yeah. The, uh, the most I call them feisty, you know. Mm -hmm. They probably feel vulnerable. They do. They, they can't see very well, and they know there's something there. And, and they'll... They'll just pretty wildly strike. Yeah, anybody who sees a copperhead and is afraid of it, though, all they have to do is take about three steps back. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's that's all you got to do because those snakes yeah. aren't going to try. All those times I've carried boats through the woods and been through the woods and hunting and all that, I've yeah. you know I've seen them, but I've never felt menaced at all. They you know? are fascinating. But it's it's kind of interesting with with uh, copperheads and <clears throat> in particular, they pair up and mate in the fall and in the spring. So, uh, and I've, some of the 10 that I've been visiting for 20 years, I have laid out. And there will be a, a, a male and a female. And I, I call it a copperhead stack, hmm. where the male will curl up on top of the female. Mm -hmm. hmm. And it's like, this is my woman. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you lift up that piece of tin, and most of the time they do nothing, but sometimes the male will start thrashing around and inflate with air. And I mean, he is defending mm -hmm. the female, which is kind of neat. Mm -hmm. The female just, she just kind of lays there. Yeah. You know? That is kind of Almost mm -hmm. always. But or he'll crawl off into the weeds, and then, then you hear thrashing in the leaf litter, and then he, all of a sudden he's back, you know. Yeah. You still hear. <laughs> well, time for you to go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. And they will strike sometimes, but it's, uh, it's, it's, they're not coming after you intending to bite you. They're just saying, hey, get away from yeah, me. I'm, I'm, yeah, you're messing with my family. Go away, please. Well, I've always heard that, you know, they need the venom to procure food. That's, they do. What, that's what the venom is for. So they don't want to waste it on you, because that's what it would be, right? Yeah, I don't know if they're smart enough to think that through, mm -hmm. but just yeah, be ingrained yeah. in them mm -hmm. somewhere. Earlier, John, you mentioned uh, the bluegrass region <clears throat> and talking about where you lived, and you said, well, you know, unfortunately, it's not that diverse because it's in the bluegrass region. And um, if you look at the the maps of the home range of the different snakes in Kentucky, you know, the bluegrass has a lot, but the bluegrass is void of. Well, a lot of the state's void of the cottonmouth, but then the bluegrass is also void of the timber rattlesnake, and yeah. very few copperheads compared to other parts of the state, at least. So yeah, in the bluegrass, the copperheads pretty much follow the the Kentucky River corridor. I've never seen one in Shelby mm -hmm. County, and I've been in the woods in Shelby Sh County a lot. Shelby is one of the counties we have no copperhead records from. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. We've got about half a dozen counties, maybe eight, with no copperhead record. Mm -hmm. I wonder why that is. Why do you think the bluegrass is void of them? Um, you know, it, it's 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 difficult to say. I mean, mm -hmm. the bluegrass has essentially no lizards. Mm -hmm. um, We've got five line skinks, and that's about. We don't have well, fence lizards. Or? There are fence lizards along the Kentucky River okay. uh, corridor, where it's wooded and hilly, mm -hmm. uh, and five line skinks. We have like three records for the whole bluegrass. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and two of them are in Lexington in the 1930s. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And they were probably brought in lumber or something like that. Mm. And then there was one site in Jessamine County that had five line skinks. There was an old sawdust pile and a, a fallen down shack. But the five line skinks you see in the bluegrass are broad headed skinks. Broad head. Mm. It's okay. the other species. Um, they look real similar. Okay. I see. I was thinking about that from when I was a little kid at Heritage Elementary School up the road here. And I would be, you know, out on recess and we'd think we were finding five lines, but it was probably broad, broadhead skinks is what you're saying. It almost certainly was. Yeah, because I was, I was probably 10 years old. So I'm going off of I mean, 20, the babies have blue yeah. tails. And yeah. Uh, mm, yeah. They're probably smaller too. So that makes sense. A little bit smaller, but, you know, a full grown five line skink can be tail and all that long and, yeah. a, and a broadhead can be yeah. you know 11 12 inches hmm. so it, it's a size a whole size difference i thought that but, maybe the the mineral content or something in the soil had affected on her yeah no one really knows no one knows yeah you know, the the bluegrass it has no decayed snakes no red belly snakes those are the two species that feed on slugs mm -hmm. hmm. now i i'm guessing probably the slugs that they feed on uh, were not found in the bluegrass historically. It's hmm. odd how we have such a diverse yeah. across the state. Yeah, the, the little uh, 
ground skink, which mm. is common everywhere, but absent from the bluegrass. Mm. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the wildflowers, uh, you know, there's uh, there's no large flower trolling in the bluegrass. Mm -hmm. I mean, things that are common in, in the whole rest of the state. Mm -hmm. Now, we do have uh, a trillium that replaces large flower trillium. Trillium flexipi. I'm, I'm not real good on common names of plants. Mm -hmm. I'd have to. But, uh, <coughs> trying to think of the different species of trillium that um, we we have the white trillium that I can think of, and then we have the one that has like a maroon color to the leaves. Are you talking natural bridge? Or are you talking? No, I'm thinking uh, Jefferson Memorial Forest. I'm trying to get as close to the bluegrass as I can. Yeah, yeah now that's in the knobs. Yeah, yeah, it's different. But that's the thing is you can you can see where the bluegrass kind of ends and the knobs kind of start mm -hmm. right there on the south side of Louisville. And as soon as you hit that area, Jefferson Memorial Forest or, or Fort Knox, yeah. you have it all again. It's yeah. all there. So it's it's very diverse, and same thing with bobcats. You know, there's hardly any bobcat records in Shelby County. They're there. You know, you get them on trail camera, but if you look at just harvest results, which is a good indicator of what population is, Shelby County and Franklin County and Scott County and this I-64 corridor between Louisville and Lexington has far fewer bobcat numbers, at least yeah. going by harvest results, than anywhere else in the state. It's just kind of odd to me. I know when we moved here. <clears throat> I used to find bobcat scat in Jessamine County on the on the bluffs, you know, mm -hmm. right along the Kentucky River, which and I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. Do you still? Yeah. Yeah. Bobcats. They, yeah, they're there. Well, like in Bardstown, I heard them at night, and you know, I was as the crow flies, I was like three miles from Knob State Forest in Bernheim. So we would cruise back Harrison Fork Road and cut through Knob State and yeah. kind of the back end of of Bernheim. Yeah. Well, there are bobcats everywhere. But like if I was to pull the bobcat harvest numbers right now, mm -hmm. I'm not going to, but if I just had to guess, I would say that there have been less than three bobcats harvested in Shelby County so far this year. And I bet you there's been over 30 harvested in multiple other counties across the state. Um, it just seems like every year there's far, far fewer. And it seems like, you know, and I, I look at that and I also notice that if I want to find a timber rattlesnake, I have to drive 45 minutes from Shelby County. You know, I have to go a little bit south or a little bit mm -hmm. east. And it just seems like for some reason that area is somewhat void of some of the wildlife that we have everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's habitat because people have been there longer, people have been doing more agriculture, the land's been cleared and developed more, or minerals are different in the soil, I have no idea. I just thought I mean, it was interesting. Yeah, I really think it's more than that. Yeah, it's, more than all. I mean, the vegetation that. is different, the, the little bitty things are different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You think, you think that's the driver of it? Over developing well, I think ag? It's, and, I think or, it's, yeah, it's, whatever drives the little bitty things also drives mm -hmm. the lizards, the snakes, the salamanders. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah. like there are pretty much no chorus frogs in the bluegrass. But if you go up to Carrollton, the western chorus frog occurs along the Ohio River and it's come down the Kentucky River hmm. down to a, about Twin Eagle. Uh, w. Okay. Which is which is really neat. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the easternmost place in the state that has western chorus frogs. You know, they just they're they're in the you know in the floodplain wetlands along the Kentucky River. But the closer you get to Frankfurt, the narrower the floodplain gets. And yes. Then when you hit the Palisades, there's no floodplain. Floodplain at all. Yep. Huh. Or if there is, it it still floods all the time. So yeah. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good point. That's a good way. A good perspective way to look at it. As far as it is interesting when you 
look at the old landscapes, especially around water, and you can kind of see how things used to flow. You know, you see the Palisade Wall that's a half mile off where the river currently sits mm -hmm. up yeah. in the bend, and you can tell that, you know, uh, eons Elkhorn ago. Some of the lower Elkhorn yeah. has abandoned channels. Not, not just that, but I mean, not just abandoned channels, but El where the, the creeks and rivers have actually migrated away. Yeah. Migrated, you know, so their banks used to be over here, and now, yeah, I, I think it's pretty interesting looking on the map or just looking with your eyes while you're out there and seeing how those things bend and thinking about where the oxbows were and where the fertile soil probably is mm -hmm. and what you can find over there. And that's probably a lot to do with the habitat where you find a lot of these amphibians and, and critters as well, right? Yeah. The historical habitat. But Something that, like a, a really good not-in-the-bluegrass salamander is the marbled salamander. Oh, yeah. But... Marble salamanders occur in uh, Trumbo Bottoms, which is right next to Frankfurt. Okay. Hmm. And I didn't believe that for a long time. Yeah. And then a few years ago, there was one walking across the parking lot after a rainy night in the fall. So, I mean, hmm. there's no arguing with that. <laughs> now, those marbled salamanders, they, uh, <clears throat> I've only seen them one time. And the reason that it stands out to me was because we went months earlier to look for them. Because they, I guess, breed earlier in the year they breed in the fall okay so almost like late fall early winter maybe yeah so we went to yellow bank wma and, and found them one time one pond up there we found a couple of we where it was like a old uh pieces of plywood like maybe an old shack or something had been oh, i know where that over. is yeah you know exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> yep, i do yeah there's a pond up there and there's just a it's like an old barn or shack or something got yeah. pushed over and underneath those boards we found a bunch of marbled salamanders one day just took some photos of them and let them be, you know. But it was cool yeah. to see. Yeah, that pond has got, it's got marbles and tigers and spotteds and Jefferson salamanders. That's a great spot. Streams. It's got five different kinds of ambistoma salamanders. So could you assume there's not many fish in that pond? I a pool. It sometimes holds water all doesn't. year, but usually doesn't. It's kind of up. It's small. I mean, it's the size of this room probably, maybe a little bigger, but... But it's up yeah. on top of a hill, and it's it's a wooded pond, but it's got a field right next to it, a tall yeah. tall grass field. So it's got a lot of diverse habitat around it. And it's kind of cedars and kind of hardwoods. It's a lot of, of very diverse forest yep. around we pond. We did a herp inventory in, uh, in the early 2000s, and that was before I came back to the department. And it was me and Mark Gumbert and Dan Dorson, and we saned that pond mm -hmm. in March. And just to see what we get out of there, and caught over 200 salamanders. Uh, every time you'd haul the stain through there, you'd have a dozen or so. Mm -hmm. So we had like 11 tiger salamanders and like 90 Jeffersons and like 70 spotted. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was truly amazing. But the tiger salamanders were almost completely black. Hmm. So we called that the Black Tiger Pond. Hmm. Oh, okay. And then later on, Steve McMillan was the manager mm -hmm. there, talking to Steve McMillan, and that particular place was locally known as Black Tiger Knob. Oh, really? Oh, that really? was just the name of it. it had no, Has nothing to do with it? had nothing to do with it. Oh, that's sound. interesting. So thought, wow. wow. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is an that, That's really weird. That is yeah, weird. that is. And, uh, John, I got like six, seven questions I want to ask oh, you. Sure, go ahead. But, well, I can't decide. I kind of didn't know if I wanted to tell a well, story first. Um. There's one I wanted to ask. Well, go for it, Lee. Um, you look serious when you said that. Well, so. you have a species name for you, correct? Do you? Uh, yeah, I've got a snail named. Oh, the John McGregor snail? It's Stenotrema Matt Gregor I. Oh, really? 
and its common name is the fraudulent slit mouth. Is that really what it's called? <laughs> Did you pick the common name? <laughs> no. No, it's um, Dan Dorson um, got really interested in land snails, and there, there were several species pairs where you knew it was two species, mm -hmm. but they hadn't both been described, so you had... So anyway, one of those species pairs, he's figured out how to tell them apart. So he named named one after me. And uh, so since it looks like the other one, it's fraudulent. Oh, so he called mm. it. Uh, so like the other one is the hairy slip mouth. I think I'd rather be a hairy or a fraudulent slip mouth than a hairy slip mouth. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All the things being equal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Well, you know, they just so, found a couple of uh, darter species in Green River that are, you know, Undescribed. I don't think people realize what that means. That means that formally it hasn't been named yet, but they have discovered that it is a true, distinct species. Yeah, but so. the way they do that most of the time is, is through DNA. Yeah, that's what so. they've done. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah, tell them apart for a fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like when when I took ichthyology in 1971, mm -hmm. the orange throat darter was really common in headwater streams all the way across Kentucky. Well, now there's like six or seven species of it. Mm -hmm. I thought the, the names ought to be the Licking River Orange Throat Daughter, the mm -hmm. Green River Orange, but no, they they give each one of them a common name that's... Confusing. It's confusing. Yeah. It makes it much more difficult <laughs> to know what you're like. The, the working name is Green River Striped-Tail Daughter, but that's when getting ready to be formally named. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, so that one time that would have been Ethiostoma kenicata, the striped tail darter. Mm -hmm. Yes, but now they found one that's distinctive. Yeah. Matt and, Thomas, and, is, and, yeah. and yeah, and once once you know it's different, then sometimes you can go back and look at the at the breeding males, and you can actually see differences mm -hmm. that you, you didn't see before because mm -hmm. you just thought it was all part of the variation. Why the breeding males? Are they one that's easier to see a difference in? Yeah, darters are really colorful. Yes, they in, just, when they get beautiful. into breeding color, and that's what the males are fighting over territories, and really bright colors appear. And you know, that you can tell the orange, the various orange throats apart. Of the, Makes yeah. sense, John. What's uh, what's your favorite reptile, and why? <laughs> <laughs> As I said, it's probably the copperhead. Copperhead, the one that gave you the worst pain you felt in your life. Well, I just really admire them. Yeah. You know, I mean, they they adapt pretty well to just about any conditions. Mm -hmm. and they they can feed on anything. They're I mean, pretty snake. In midsummer, they eat cicadas and caterpillars, and mm -hmm. they eat mice. They'll eat anything. Anything, huh? They'll eat other snakes. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Other, but not other venomous snakes. I don't think it matters. Okay, because I knew the king snake being one that would eat other venomous yeah. snakes. I mean, I've had people send me photos of like a copperhead eating eating a garter snake or a hmm. decay snake or a water snake. I mean, huh. it's not an everyday thing, but if you're hungry enough, if you're hungry enough, mm -hmm. you eat just about anything. Yeah. So, copperhead. Lee, do you have a favorite reptile? Um, you know. Probably red eft. They're beautiful. I used to see them at. Um, Do you ever go to Maywoods that Eastern owned and go down there and fish? I know the red efts though. They're just there. gorgeous. But I found it. That's when I learned a lesson that they're obviously not uh, thought of very highly by fish because they were on just. I mean, having 
in an area where I've caught nice largemouth bass before, and they were just completely like oh, not they, worried. <laughs> they are poisonous. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I learned about. Them. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I had a newt, a couple of newts, in a in an aquarium, and I caught a snapping turtle that was about this big, and I wanted to photograph it, and I didn't have time. I needed to put it in something, so I thought, well, I'll just throw it in the aquarium with these newts, because mm. it's gonna—it's not gonna eat the newts. It's gonna know better. Yeah. Uh, so the next morning, the snapping turtle is dead. Tried to eat one of the newts. Mm. Really? I guess you know. I didn't know those were poisonous, but now that but when they're you, so brilliantly marked. When you look like, at them, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Well, that's. But they also have that color change, you know. Where mm -hmm. I, I think they are almost prettier when they're in their green and yellow mm -hmm. with face yeah. than they are as a bright. Well, red. The, yeah, the belly's bright yellow with yeah. black spots. I mean, they are. They try to be conspicuous mm -hmm. when they're in the in the water as adults. They're conspicuous from below, mm -hmm. so the fish can see that. Oh yeah. And then when they're on land, they're. Bright orange or bright red. And, uh, I've got a, I've got a great photo. I wish I could remember where I was at. We were out hiking somewhere near waterfalls near Cumberland. Um, I'm not sure where it would have been, but um, <clears throat> it was a. We walked down to this creek and there was a, a red eft sitting on a, a rock. It was just right there and it was. I took a couple pictures of it because it was almost picturesque the way mm -hmm. it was sitting, and I didn't even realize it at the time. But in the background of my photos was a copperhead curled up on in the same little area so i have and then after i took the photos of the red eft i saw the copperheads in there but i have those somewhere on my phone so both of your all's favorite amphibians mm -hmm. just stumbled upon wow i know don't you wish you were there that day mcgregor oh yeah that would have been well, you know, speaking of cicadas <laughs> everybody's going they're going to be the, 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 we have a cicada emergence yeah. coming this year yeah well i looked that up after i talked to you guys it's like this is this hasn't happened for 221 years. I think it's 17. Is <laughs> it 17 in 2007? Well, it's what hasn't happened in 221 years is this particular brood of 13 year and 17 year both oh. emerging at the same time. So it really has been 207 years since we've had this since one. since brood nine and brood 13 emerged at the same time. But the thing is, brood 13. Is is a brood of seventeen year cicadas, and it's up in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, mm -hmm. and brood nine is a thirteen year brood, and it's it's called the Great Southern Brood, mm -hmm. and so it starts in Illinois, goes down through Western Kentucky, Tennessee, all the way across to Maryland. Mm -hmm. So it's a really so the only place you could possibly live and see both broods at the same time are like a couple of counties in Illinois. Hmm. So is this still hmm. going to be a big cicada year for the most of the the state of Kentucky too? Though? No, no, uh, it's not. I thought it was. No, next year. Next year. Next year. I keep being a year off. Well, the the reporters pick up on. Uh, oh, it's a big year for cicadas. They get that from the cicada biologist. Mm -hmm. The cicada people are excited because it's. It's this, these particular two broods that actually touch each other, mm -hmm. and and one's a 17-year, one's a 13-year, and it's 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 every two. You have to multiply the numbers together to see how often they would emerge together. Oh, I see. That's how it works. So yeah. what, what emerges so, next in 2025? So we're going to have brood nine, and <laughs> I looked I looked this stuff up. 
<clears throat> the last time Brood 9 came out was in 2011. Uh, and they are going to be in western Kentucky. And I was really interested in cicadas. Yeah, I watched a great video with you about cicadas from 2008. I guess it would have been what you did with Tim Farmer. You explained their life cycle, oh. and that, that was a great. Yeah, we yeah we went over to Tim's house and yeah. looked at cicadas. Actually, that that would that's the brood that's going to come out next year. Okay, but so I got brood nine in Caldwell, Christian, Hopkins, Livingston, Lyon, Muhlenberg. Ohio and Triggs. It was in eight counties in western Kentucky. And what I did was, when I was driving around and I heard them, I would stop and take GPS coordinates. Mm -hmm. So I've got all this data on Brood 9, and I really thought KFWIS would be interested in that. Mm. No, it's an insect. <laughs> we don't care. Well, we care about insects over here. So I had all this in my field notes, so I went ahead and pulled it all out. Well, the cicadas are kind of fascinating. Yeah, so. but so, and I was staying at uh, Penny Rhino Lake State Park um, right during the peak of the emergence, and you know, just right outside my room, there's like a dogwood tree on the on the lawn right in front of the lodge, and there were just hundreds and hundreds mm -hmm. of cicadas mm -hmm. hanging there at night, molting. So you have these pure white cicadas hanging off their cases. I mean, beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, during the day, it's it's a pretty loud racket. So what's in store for us for this year for um, Kentucky? They will basically be uh, in in these counties. Oh, okay. So I think the furthest east I had them was um, Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg and barely into Ohio County. Okay. But the annual cicadas will be statewide again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, there are a bunch of different kinds, and really nobody knows much about the annual mm -hmm. Cicadas, whether they have regular emergences or not, uh, some people, because yeah. all the species pretty much look the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard the summer. Actually. But next year is the big year. This year is yeah. Next year is the big year for the periodical, you know, the ones that have the huge big uh, okay emergences. And yeah, they, that, like they we had. Be, uh, they'll be all over uh, eastern Kentucky in the bluegrass. Okay. And west to, uh, I think I have it. So 2025. They're west to like Logan County. So the, the one this year, okay, cool, is Brew 9, and it's going to be Caldwell Christian, Ohio, uh, Brew 19. 19? Okay. At XIX. Yeah. Okay. So they will be, uh, let's see, what are, what are the, what's the, what Caldwell Christian, in? Ohio, Muhlenberg. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the exit in Ohio County. Beaver Dam? Yeah, Hartford Beaver Dam. Yeah. So pretty much west of Beaver Dam. When I was tracking these things, I went to the McDonald's in Hartford. Mm -hmm. And before I got to the McDonald's, cicadas everywhere. I left McDonald's and continued on Highway 62. Mm -hmm. One cicada calling in one patch of woods right beyond McDonald's and then nothing. Wow. <laughs> it was, I mean, it's... McDonald's was a barrier. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. that... Maybe maybe McDonald's had harvested all. Maybe they, they saw Super Size Me and got scared. <laughs> Can't say stuff like that on. <laughs> oh well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> all right. What's your favorite bird and why, John? Do you have a favorite bird? Yeah, I really like Carolina wrens. Carolina wrens. Now describe that one to me. Is that because I'm not? I'm, oh, I've, well, I've had them this year on my 
yeah, more than normal for some reason. Yeah, they are. We, I just had we just had them calling, starting to call the other day around the house, but uh, they nest in my air conditioner covers, oh. so I have to get the air conditioner covers off. We still have window air conditioners because mm-hmm. they never spent the money to get the big, mm-hmm. those big shop back things. <laughs> but uh, so if I don't get the air conditioner covers off, then I have to leave them on until the Carolina wrens raise their first broods. So. That's funny. But you know they'll they nest there. You know I brought home bald-faced hornet nests and stuck them up on the porch. You know, attached to the rafters. They'll nest in those. Um, huh. I had an old hat that I had had in the garage, and they nested in that. <laughs> it's just, they're just really neat. They're yeah. so adapted to uh, to living around people, and yet I have I have wren houses. That I put up, and they never would use them. <laughs> <laughs> I just just, air conditioner I, cover I, hats and I, I old horn's nest. They'll yeah. use that, but there's a there, here's a here's a perfectly good horn's nest. <laughs> yeah, why would I use that house? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite bird lick? Oh God, all pretty much all. But you know, one that's been coming this year that we haven't seen in a while that just I love is I've got a pair of northern flickers that've been coming too. Oh neat! I've yeah. been using hot pepper suet, so I could actually have suet for the birds, not one day for the squirrels, and then they eat the whole cake in one day. Um, and that's really helped get the squirrels away. And and man, I mean, they're full, beautiful, full adult. Uh, Northern Flickers. I just I had a lot of them growing up in Nelson County. I haven't seen any in several years, mm. and now this year we've had a, a male and a female been coming to the That's to a feeder. I mean, I'm in the middle of Nicholasville, mm-hmm. like two blocks from the courthouse. But you know, I had had a nice red-bellied woodpecker this weekend, mm-hmm. and a pair of I think downies. Downies and Harries are you know yeah they're, they're very similar. I have trouble with those. Me too. I'm going to jump in late. Carolina wrens and all that stuff. I'm going to jump in late and tell you my favorite reptile is the timber rattlesnake. I just like how they look. I like, they kind of have scales on the side of their head that are a little bit more pronounced and a little bit bigger. Almost look like, they almost remind me of like a dragon. You know how you see dragons Mm -hmm. on TV and they have these big. Like on Game of Thrones. Yeah. I just like how they look. And I like the color change too, going from their head to tail. I like how they taper off and become dark. Yeah, I just think they're pretty. And I like the, the rattle. I've seen you. That's the There's most. Videos. Have you seen their videos? They're in their mammoth cave and they're, uh, and they're John, taking pictures. John here has ran into, I've told that story on the podcast before. One time my fiance, Kristen, she goes out and looks for stuff, just like John does. And uh, John has a key to the gates. Lucky John does. So she was walking like the three miles back one day to go to Mammoth Cave and, and look it's around. More like 1.4. Whatever. Well, three both ways. You gotta okay. go three. If it's okay. three, if you do it both. Okay. Ways. Yeah. Um, and so, but John passed her driving down the road, <laughs> and I think that Kristen, my fiance, recognized John from just following herpetology and liking snakes and amphibians. And I think she chased your car down and joined you for a day out in the field, didn't she? Part of a day. Part I, of a day. I showed her where some of my tent was. Yeah. I think she enjoyed the heck <laughs> out of it. But you know, she goes out and walks in the woods and sees them. Yeah. It, it's a talent few people have. Oh yeah, to be able to go out and actually. Do, to go out and and find rattlesnakes mm-hmm. that are curled up the base of a tree. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean most people just walk right past them, yeah. and, including most snake people. Mm-hmm. Uh, huh. Yeah, in terms of being of really making your day, finding a rattlesnake makes your day makes my day more than yeah. more than anything else. And when they rattle, I mean it, the first time I remember the first time I ran across a timber rattlesnake, I was at uh, Cave Run and I was up near Zilpo. There's there's an old, actually, 
there's an old road that cuts throughout Zilpo and goes out that way and there's a couple of small ponds at the beginning of it and it, it ends up in a bluffy area that drops down to the lake. And uh, there was a rattlesnake, a timber, and a fallen tree that forked off and it was right there sitting on the inside of that fork, kind of had the, the tree on either side of it. And I was just walking through the woods and all of a sudden that rattle started and it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up and it was so loud, I almost, it sounded like it was right next to me. Like I expected that snake to be at, at my feet but it was 30 yards away or so, something like that. Uh, That's pretty unusual. But yeah. it uh, it was just my first experience with them. I was walking around, I was looking for them. So I was kind of like stomping through the woods and stuff like that. But it uh, I, it started rattling and I could not tell where that sound was coming from. But it, I think it might be because of how it was inside that log and it was kind of vibrating or echoing out. But it was cool. So do you know Tim Sloan? No, <laughs> no Tim Sloan, yeah. my He was uh, our boss. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Our boss's boss. Okay, uh, about the time I started back here, and Tim was the non-game. He was mm -hmm. the person who hired me, and then he leaves and mm -hmm. comes. Yeah, I director. I yeah. director of I &E, But so the Louisville Zoo was radio tracking timber rattlesnakes at Bernheim. Okay, and so I went out with them a few times, and Tim came one day, and so we're out there, <clears throat> slowly walking through the woods, and mm -hmm. you get to be maybe. 10, 15 feet from the snake, the beeps are loud, everybody stops, and you just start scanning the forest floor until you find the snake. And then, mm -hmm. So anyway, so we find, get, come to the first rattlesnake, and the Louisville Zoo people are taking data, and I'm taking photos, and Tim is just all excited, and he starts dancing around the rattlesnake, and the rattlesnake, you know, starts rattling at him. Everyone was horrified. <laughs> Tim, that's not what you do. You know, I love it. What you do is you find the rattlesnake and you back off and then the rattlesnake doesn't matter. doesn't rattle. Mm -hmm. That means you haven't really disturbed it. Yeah. You know, you haven't ruined it today. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, that's probably the yeah. way to go. That, that's the way to go. <laughs> so I, I figure if I make the rattlesnake rattle, yeah. I have blown it. I've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. Now every once in a while, one will rattle, particularly, you know, I turn over a piece of tin and I'm not expecting it, mm -hmm. and suddenly there's one there, and, you know, sometimes it'll rattle at me, but, you know, usually, they usually just pay no attention. Yeah. Know? That's something, but I've yeah. found them before because they've rattled where I wouldn't have seen them. Yeah. You know, I didn't even know they were there, and then all of a sudden, shh, you hear it. And I've had several, but, uh, particularly when I was doing bat netting uh, around Moorhead, like at Big Perry, that was a really good rattlesnake place, mm -hmm. and you're up there, Walking down an old road, you got a net here and a net here. It's you know midnight, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden you hear a just a like that. Just the two it's, it's, it's it's a a little flick of the tail. Yeah, and it's just saying, I'm over here, mm -hmm. and and I'm aware of you, mm -hmm. and I, you hear that, and then you start looking around, and you see the rattlesnake, yeah. and I've had that happen to me dozens of times. Yeah. You know, one of the cool snakes I didn't I meant to say earlier is a queen snake. You like the queen Sil snakes? Oh yeah, Silver Creek had a bunch of them. Well, you would see them, and they would be like a cobra. You know, you'd look, and they would be up and like looking oh, and you know, the yeah, their head up out of the, yeah, yeah looking around like, like a wow, periscope almost. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a, they're cool. I just think they're cool. I like the green snakes a lot too, only because of how they look. I love the color on them. They're they're beautiful, and plus I like how they hunt too. You know, because I find them at eye level which is fun mm -hmm. for me because most snakes I'm having to look down at the ground for. 
for these, I, I find them right here. But so, you know, the, I've, Silver Creek was the only place I've consistently seen queen snakes. Oh, I've seen a bunch of them, man. You got to go check out uh, Clear Creek in Shelby County. Clear Creek has a bunch of them. When I worked on my master's at UK, I studied queen snakes and common water snakes. Cool. And along about a less than a mile of Jessamine Creek, I marked 750 queen snakes. Oh, wow. And like 700 common water snakes over a, about three years. That's awesome. That is cool. So it was pretty neat. And uh, I mean, there were certain rocks that every time I lifted this rock, there were going to be multiple queen snakes under it. Mm -hmm. Had about 10 of those rocks. And then there was another place where there was a little ledge, a crevice going back, right? And just above the water line. And I'd look back in there and there'd be seven or eight or 10 or 12 queen snake heads, you know, back in there. So when they're and, out doing their cobra thing, what are they, they looking for food? Uh, they're just coming up to get a breath and look around. I mean, they, they mostly hunt at night. Um, and I, I spent a lot of hours wading up and down Jessamine Creek at night, huh. uh, trying to watch them feed. And they'd grab a crayfish by the tail and actually drag it out of the water and throw, throw a loop of their body over it and swallow it tail first. And they hunt during the day, too, uh, sometimes. But it was pretty neat to watch that. Yeah, I bet. But there was a movie that came out when I was in grad school. Um, it was about the... Uh, Falks, Arkansas, Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. um, can't remember the name of the movie. But anyway, so a friend of mine and I and our wives went and saw that. Uh, Legend of Boggy Creek. Mm. And so we get back, and then that night, I'm going out to do my walk the creek and the queen snakes, and it was foggy. <laughs> and here's this, I'm in this pasture with these cedar trees that are <laughs> about Bigfoot size. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I got really spooked. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty weird. And I was out there one night, and I can't remember the guy's name. He was the uh, he was the Fayette and Jessamine Conservation Officer, <laughs> and he sneaked up on me. And I'm of course I'm out there with a notebook and a and a flashlight and mm -hmm. watching water snakes. And all of a sudden, there's this guy standing in the creek next to me. <laughs> Did and somebody call call him on you? I don't know. He might have just been doing his job. Yeah. Just he's, checking out see what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, he said, I just saw somebody out here with a light, and I was just curious. Yeah. Did you show him some stuff? No, I mean, he, he had been watching me for 15, 20 minutes. I guess he decided I wasn't poaching anything. Yeah, that's what mm -hmm. they do to me, too. But, <laughs> like, when, when I worked for the highway department, uh, and... We would go seining at night sometimes, because um, if you want to catch mad toms, which are these, mm -hmm. I love bitty, mad toms. Yeah, little bitty catfish with the big, painful stings. Um, you go out at night and catch those. And we were in uh, we were in Shelby County, working on a highway project, and there were, well, me, and Steve Rice, and I think Bill Blackburn, and maybe there were four of us. But anyway, we were out there seining at night. And we pull the seine up, and all of a sudden there are five of us. And the, the conservation officer had sneaked into our group, you know, because mm -hmm. he wanted to know what we were doing. Oh, Somebody had probably called him. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was When that you was said there were cool. five of us, then all, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden that made sense. Yeah. Yeah. But no troubles, right? No. No, he's doing work. Yeah. My favorite bird. <laughs> i got to get my favorite bird out there, guys. I'm just going to go with uh, the barn owl. 
Because mm -hmm. I, I think oh, owl, owls are fascinating too. Something to do with how they evolved in the offset ears and the silent flight. I just think that's really cool. So I, I sorry to interrupt, but I had to get it out. No, there. I had They're awesome. I tell you what I like about barn owls. Yeah. They're pellets. Oh, how you can go through them. You can go through them and get yeah. skulls, and you can you can get all kinds of small mammal records. Yeah. From hmm. that for that area. I did that last year. It reminded me. They're considered good luck, especially in a horse barn. If you get a barn owl, you never molested at all. It's good luck. I. Uh, we, we found barn owl pellets last year and did that fifth grade. Just, just like we did in elementary school, we sat down on the table and it was like building a, putting together a puzzle, but I got a mouse, I got a whole skeleton put together. But I mean, it was like a two day project of digging that, that it's, it's kind of an odd yeah, project. Owls are, owls are awfully cool. Is there a bad owl? No, I think they're all super cool. I think all the owls are interesting <laughs> yeah, too. too. What about mammals? Do we have a favorite mammal, John? I'm going down this list. I gotta know them all. <laughs> I don't know. My my favorite mammal is probably the cloudland deer mouse. Oh, okay. It's a gorgeous deer mouse. They're found in the high elevations in the Cumberland Mountains. Okay. And now what like are those? It's a, it's closely related to the white-footed mouse. Okay. Hmm. But it has a real long tail. Uh, they uh, live basically in hollow trees. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say most people don't know that we have that many different species of mice in the state. We have a lot, and I would have to write write them all down and add them up. But yeah. The cloudland deer mouse is, used to be the only white-footed mouse on top of Black Mountain, but and with all the disturbance up there, particularly on the Virginia side from mm -hmm. all the all the mountaintop removal mining, the white-footed mouse has moved its way up. moved up to the top. So now when you go up there and try to live trap mice, about half of what you get is white-footed mice, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. Huh. I well, never have done that. But you know, I had a cloudland deer mouse for about three years that uh, uh, Jim Krupa from UK caught, mm -hmm. and I borrowed it from him to photograph. Oh, and you had it for three years. <laughs> but I had it for like three years. <laughs> it's like a buddy borrow, don't let but, John borrow your yeah, power tool. Yeah, you never see it again. kept it in the family room, and the cats, my wife's cats just... Oh my God! It's endless entertainment. Oh yeah. Oh, that's actually a good idea. I need a way to entertain my cat. Well, Tater. Yep. Yeah. Now that I have one, I need to find a way to do it. What, so. What's the rarest animal you've held? You mean that I found myself, or, or just yeah that you've and field work that you've held in your hand? Uh, I don't really know. Um, I'm trying to think. It's probably changed through the years. Yeah. I bet you probably had some animals in your hand that were really rare. Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on the on the scope. I mean, like. Like catching that first uh, plains leopard frog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, new for the state. I also found the first one in Tennessee. <laughs> Two states. Uh, finding uh, finding the first gray tree frogs in Kentucky mm -hmm. <coughs> at Fort Knox, and, uh -huh. you know, which you can identify by their voice. But if, if you look at Barber's book or the old literature, mm -hmm. gray tree frog everywhere. But what they didn't know was that the gray tree frog that's everywhere is Cope's gray tree frog. Oh, okay. It's a different species. Hmm. It has a different call. It's it's only got two sets of chromosomes, and hmm. the other one has four. Uh, hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I can't tell them apart by looking at them, but I can tell them apart by by sound. Yeah. So yeah. that was pretty neat. That is cool. Finding the uh, finding the Cumberland Plateau salamander, which had been it was described in 1951, and then John Williams, who, did you know John Williams? The fisheries biologist, yeah. John? Oh, he's yeah. a very good friend of mine. Okay, yeah. when he worked on his master's degree, he studied that species, and he was at uh, UK, 
and prove that it didn't exist, that it was really just the same as a slimy salamander. Huh. That was his master's project. So I'm down there on top of Black Mountain with, <laughs> with the Kentucky Lepidopterus, the butterfly people, and I turn over logs and I'm saying, what's this thing? You know, it kind of looks like a slimy, but it's different. So I got one of the butterfly people to let me put some salamanders in his cooler, and I get back home and I'm looking at him. I said, there's two species here. Mm -hmm. So I called up Dick Hyten, who was the... Uh, the Plethodon guru, I mean, the salamander guru, and I, I said, I've, I think I've got Plethodon Kentucky. He said, nah, that's, that was sunk a long time ago. He says, well, I said, I've got two different species here, and I'll separate them, and I'll send them to you. And you, Because he was just starting to do electrophoresis there, mm -hmm. which was a way to look at genetics. And so I sent them to him, and he calls up the next week, and he says, you're right. There's two species, and you had them all identified right. He said, I don't know how you did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, down so he and I re-described the Cumberland Plateau salamander, and then I spent years mapping out its distribution. So did you debunk and, John Williams on that? Yeah, and it was funny. <laughs> did you give John a hard time? Oh, yeah, I did. I I'm going to have to, next time I see him, I'm going to have to rip him up now. He yeah. said, you know, it's, it not, now this is the John Williams that studied mussels. Hmm. Oh, so not the fisheries not, biologist. This is John not John Williams, the John Williams that was Southeastern Fisheries. Okay. Oh, okay, Doc Williams? Yeah, Doc Williams. Oh, that's Rick's yeah. Doc Williams. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. The whole time I was saying. J.C. Williams Wildlife Management Area is named for him, correct? Um, I think they yeah. named that for him. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's okay. Yeah. No, they, yeah, I know who you're talking about. But, you know, I had known him for a long time, you know, and I mean, I used to go down there and just talk to him. And uh, when I was doing, like, he worked for the highway department, and and I knew we we really ought to be looking at freshwater mussels, and mm -hmm. and we weren't, and so you know I would go down there. I went to Elkhorn and got a whole pillowcase full of shells, and went down there, and he identified them all for me, and so I'd, I'd label them all with a sharpie, and then I'd stick them stuck them in a big bag, and I carried them around behind my car seat when I was driving someplace, and I'd just reach back there, and I'd pull one out and try to guess what it was by feel, you know, and then I mm. pull it around. So that's how I learned freshwater mussels. Mm. That's a good way, good way to learn. It's yeah. like flashcards, but on yeah. steroids a little bit. It's yeah. like going by feel is an interesting way to do yeah. it, too. Well, I noticed when he was identifying a lot of them, he was, he was you know, feel the teeth and feel how big, a, how wide the shelf was and mm -hmm. uh, how thick the shell was and all that. He's, he says a lot of times you can tell more by touch than you can by looking at them. Hmm. But so I knew him. I'd known him for a long time. Doc Williams is so. a sharp guy. Rick thinks yeah. very highly of him. He's got a lot of his old books still. Yeah. Doc yeah. Williams so, left him his library. Yeah. So oh. anyway, after after we published that thing, and he said, "You you realize what you've done? You you've just." Eliminated my entire master's project, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so I don't even know if my PhD counts anymore. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. He taught at Eastern, did? Yeah. yeah. I said, John, there are two species, and not only that, but your thesis proved it mm -hmm. because he did uh, egg albumin work where you you look at the reaction. It's I, it's complicated, but anyway, his curve for his salamander sample was a double curve. It went like this. And what that really showed was this is one species and this is the other mm. one. But 
it never occurred to him that both species might occur together. He mm. thought it would be one or the other. So, hmm. let's see. That's interesting. Is, is, is that salamander on the endangered list? No. Is it? No, it's real common in eastern Kentucky. But oh. it's that's kind of. It's like you could find a. You could take a species, and you could realize that you had two species there, which is yeah. what happens a lot. But what you did was kind of one more than that because there was some research on top of that that you had to yeah. go against too. So that's kind of like doing the, but almost more so. You know, it's almost like that's even cooler than, than separating the species and finding the two because you were doing something that other people... Well, it was just say. cool to, yeah. to suddenly so, realize I was looking at two species. That is, that is, and so the assumption was it was this one species when it was actually two. Mm -hmm. Can I ask what made you, when you were looking at them up there, because you're on, on top of the mountain with the, what you said, butterfly folks, right? Um, mm -hmm. What was it when you looked at them that made you say these are two different species? Well, you know, I've been going to the Smokies for a long time, and there's a species down there, the red-cheeked salamander, and it's blue-black, mm -hmm. not just black like a slimy. Mm -hmm. The Cumberland Plateau salamander is blue-black. Blue-black. <laughs> like the ones in the Smokies. and. I mean, just you can recognize it instantly. But mm. I've been out with a lot of biologists that can't tell. They mm. they look at them and they look the same. Hmm. So, I didn't know if the slime maybe felt different because that's how you can tell when you got a slimy salamander, right? Is, well, both both of them are like yeah. that. Yeah, you touch them. They're uh, sticky. You get yeah. Your hands are all have brown stuff all over them. It has to wear off. It's like somebody. Took, oh really? Yeah. Took a little Elmer's glue. It's like you held yeah. your hands out and someone dumped a little Elmer's glue and you and, just, and then you rubbed it in wood ashes. And, yeah, mm -hmm. that's what it feels hmm. like. Can't get it off. Yeah, it just, but you know, they have flatter heads and skinnier tails. And it's, I can teach someone to do it if it's someone who, who can see. Mm -hmm. So but I, I've gone out with really smart people and they can't tell. Hmm. So they say, what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> it's obvious. <laughs> you can't see you the do? difference? <laughs> so is that your favorite amphibian, if I was going to ask? Cumberland Plateau salamanders. That's your favorite? Lee, do you have a favorite mammal? All. Pretty much. All mammals. Yeah, that, that, I mean, just. Not squirrels, though, right? Uh, you know, I don't mind them. I just don't like them to eat all my bird stuff. But <laughs> okay. I actually think they're cool. What about insects? Are there any fascinating insects to you, John? All insects. All insects? I know that uh, my fiance, Kristen, loves insects, too. And I've learned a lot about insects just by being with her. And the, the moths, the butterflies, and uh, the cicadas are things that we've. You know, hands on. You know, we've, ra we've raised in the house before and go out and find. Uh, some chrysalises or some uh, some eggs on the other underside of, of milkweed and take those home and hatch those out and then feed them and, and then let them go in the wild, you know, and maybe they have a higher survival rate. But it's fun to watch the process. And it's fun to do with uh, moths as well, like uh, polythemus or cecropias, and to watch them go through all those stages. I think some of the insects are underrated, fascinating, mm -hmm. the life cycles. I guess for as long as I can remember, <clears throat> I would go out in the fall or late summer, midsummer to fall and catch caterpillars mm -hmm. and bring home a bunch of whatever foliage they were feeding on mm -hmm. and rear the caterpillars and then see what they hatched into. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now there are books that tell you all that, yeah, but it didn't so used to be. We mm -hmm. yeah, we so I learned a lot of moths by rearing caterpillars and then trying to figure out what kind of moth that was. And that's how I got interested in the uh, Lepidoptera Society because they were at University of Louisville and I could go over there when they had their annual meeting and with pictures of the cat of the moths that I'd mm -hmm. raised, and they would tell me what they were. 
I love a Luna moth. They're cool. I've only seen a few in my life. I'd probably go with the Hickory Horn Devil. Uh, they're moths too, I mean, but... That's a neat caterpillar. It is. It's so big. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, have you ever seen one of those? No. It's like the size of a hot dog. The, the caterpillar is. I mean, it's literally the size of a, a six-inch hot dog that you mm -hmm. get at the ballpark. And then I think that the moth, um, Imperial Moth, is mm -hmm. that correct? Is the largest moth in the world, right? It's not? No. Is North America? Uh, no. Kentucky? Uh, Cecropia is bigger. Is it than the yeah. Imperial Moth? No, the caterpillar must be. The caterpillar be the is okay. the biggest. That's that's probably it's, where I was getting confused. Then. I don't know if it's the biggest in North America. It's probably about the size of the one on your shirt, actual size. Maybe a hair bit smaller than that. But I feel like that's not far off. No, they are the size of a hot dog. Oh yeah. They get they get somewhere eaten. I have a slide of a hickory horn devil on a hot dog bun with Oh really? <laughs> with ketchup and mustard. <laughs> I don't know how they taste, but <laughs> well, I don't either. But <laughs> it was, I went went out with somebody who was fishing on Elkhorn, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I was just going to turn over rocks, and there was a dead uh, hickory horn devil in a pool in the creek, and so, you know, we had a bunch of hot dogs. We we're going to have our lunch, so mm -hmm. I got a bun out and put it there. Put it put it on the bun, mm -hmm. took a picture of it. <laughs> Very interesting. I never have scanned that. You know, it's. They almost remind me of dragons too, you know, with the, the yeah. headgear they have. Have you ever, because they have these big spikes. They come off their head and curl backwards, and it almost looks like what you'd see on a cartoon dragon or something. Well, they like look that. dangerous, and they're totally harmless. Yeah. I, I really like the stinging caterpillars. The st oh, that's like, the worst pain like I've felt in my like life. The, like the saddleback, yeah. or people call a pack saddle. Yeah. And, but there are maybe 15 different kinds. Mm -hmm. They're all mm. really small. Mm -hmm. Slug caterpillars, and I, when I find them, I usually will take one and slap it against the inside of my wrist. Just to it's, feel the sting. Well, could it really have hurt that much? It, it can. Ugh. Yeah, it can. That's the worst pain. You talked about the copperhead. That's the worst pain I've felt. What? And then it itches. Yeah. And, and then it goes away. So. But it was, I remember I was a little kid and we were cleaning, cleaning out plants from around somewhere in Shelby County in the back of the house. And I don't know if it was a saddleback caterpillar or what kind of caterpillar it was because I was small. But I remember touching it and then it, my hand just burning. And then it turned to itch, like you said, almost like stinging nettle is what it felt yeah. like towards the, the tail end of it. And then it just went away, like you said, but it was right there on my hand, I think is where it was. Yeah. People don't even know we have these species. Yeah, like, when I was in kindergarten, kindergarten? I had... I had a saddleback, but it was it got on my T-shirt, oh. and it crawled up on my neck, and I, I went like that. Oh. That was the first time I'd ever seen one. Yeah. And my kindergarten teacher, you know, had to told me what it was, and you had to put salve or something on the. Oh. Hmm. They say it's one of the worst things you can feel. Uh, one of the most painful things. I don't know. They're not bad. That's what I've heard. Mm -hmm. yeah. The uh, I've also heard uh, the wheel bugs or the assassin bugs. Can be no, that, that's a serious bite. Yeah. Well, tell me about those, because we have those in Kentucky, too. They're really common. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> they are, they're fully grown usually in maybe September, October. Uh, I mean, it's a true bug. It's an assassin bug. That's what it's called. And they, they have this long beak, which is normally it's held kind of uh, on their chest. Mm -hmm. But when they feed, they, they plunge that into a usually a caterpillar or another insect, and then they secrete juice into the wound, and then they suck out the guts. Oh. 
So it pretty much dissolves the inside of the caterpillar. But boy, if you handle one of those, I mean, it'll stick you with that beak. <clears throat> Bud Carr, who used, used to be the naturalist at Buckley Hills in Woodford County, had one of those oh. beak him when, years and years and years ago. And he still, he had a red place on his finger where it was wow. still hard. Where it lit him up? dot in it where its beak had gone. And it was, I mean, it was like 15 years later. Wow. He says, whatever you do, don't mm. ever handle a wheel bug. Yeah, I've heard you that. Hmm. They look like yeah. a kind of a beetle, a common looking beetle as you'd well, see around It's a house. big gray yeah. true bug. And then there, it looks like a cogged wheel mm. right on the, that's how they got their the name, middle segment. The wheel bug, that's how they got their name. Yeah. And the assassin bug, or assassin, is just one of the species of wheel? It's an assassin. The wheel bug is a type of assassin. Bug. Okay, so assassin is the, the bigger not, name, and then yeah, wheel bug. Yeah, it's is. a whole group of true bugs that feed on other insects. That's interesting. It's crazy what's out there. And I'm, I'm promise you, most people in the state think that we have... Uh, uh, like two types of butterflies mm. and there's probably three yeah. types of moths and there's deer but you know, if you really dive down into it all the different species and the diversity from east to west and really what you cover john is probably a lot of the more interesting animals you know deer are fascinating turkeys mm -hmm. are fascinating but i think that mink are fascinating mink well mm. i think a lot of the non-game um animals are some mink. of the more fascinating ones. there used to be a lot of them on south elkhorn i'd be floated for smallmouth you'd see them i've seen them quite a bit. i've seen more recently I, mm -hmm. I feel like i've seen more minks recently like in the past three years than I had before. I used to see them deer hunting. They'd run along the creek below me, you know. And I've seen them when I was walking around the lake. Here? Have you? Not for a couple of years. Yeah. I've had them try to steal my stringers. Um, I've fished in spillways <laughs> before. They've come and tried to take my fish. And uh -huh. yeah. they're, they're, they're fun little animals. I'm trying to think I saw them at Floyd's Fork last week. I saw a couple. Yeah. Mink is okay, but it's not as cool as a weasel. A weasel? <laughs> Yeah, which we also weasels have. Weasels are pretty cool. Yeah. Have you ever seen, have you seen many weasels in the state? No, not many. Yeah. I know we have some. Usually I, I see road kills or, uh, or somebody will call up and their, their dog killed one. I mean, like most of our least weasel records. When, when Mammals of Kentucky was written in 1974, there were no least weasel records from Kentucky. Hmm. So. Hmm. But they are, they're, we've probably got 30 records now for them. They're found in drained swimming pools. <laughs> huh. And then people's cats and dogs kill them. Hmm. So, hmm. I'm a cat could, well, I guess a weasel. Uh, I mean, at least weasel is... Oh, that's that, small? They're really small. Okay, you're looking... About the size of a metaphor or just a little bigger. Okay. And then the, the long-tailed weasel was... Okay. More like that. I just always think of weasels as being fairly mean and capable. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm stereotyping there. Maybe I've seen cartoons or or movies and I just think that I've caught two least weasels by hand <laughs> and uh, not so mean not so capable well they they bite they, you do you want the weasel or don't you oh there you go just <laughs> you about know? how bad you want it <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, I mean it's kind of it's like catching a racer only with much bigger teeth yeah huh. yeah a so racer's good. probably going to bite you isn't it most yeah. of the time yeah but I uh, <clears throat> when I was at Ohio State I caught one at a, an old drive-in theater under a piece of tin mm -hmm. and I lifted up the tin and here's this weasel and it's got a, a metal vole you know which is a big vole crosswise in its jaws and it's trying to run into the grass and it can't get into the burrow because of the because so. it's holding the cross so I grabbed it threw it in a pillowcase and I, I gave it to my uh, mammalogy professor at Ohio State and I mean, I, I could do no wrong 
Oh, from that point on. <laughs> from that point on, in any of his classes, <laughs> and he kept it in his office. And yeah, had it for years. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You got to know how to bribe the professor. Uh, well, he weasel. really. He was always talking about how much he liked weasels. And well, that's cool. By golly, I'll mm -hmm. give him something to remember me by. Heck yeah, that is that's a good story. So, that was pretty neat. What do you think your favorite experience from the field is? If you had to, you probably have a hundred of them, but if, if you had one that stood out. You know, that, that was just it's hard to think about. Yeah. So right. What's your favorite mammal? I was like, hmm. Well, yeah, this, well, this you know, I was trying to think. Yeah. Of <laughs> when I think of my favorite mammal, I think, well, my, I got my favorite mouse. Got my favorite weasel. Oh, there's my favorite. There's spotted skunk. You know, I mean, they're uh, chipmunks. I love chipmunks. I do too. You know, earlier when I wrote that question down, I actually thought about the skunk. For some reason, the the, the skunk was one that jumped in my head. You said spotted skunk. Yeah, not the striped skunk. Yeah, I, th I think the striped one's cool because of the handstands, but I never have seen them do that personally. But I know that that's something that they no, do. Spotted do. skunks do that. Oh, is that the spotted? Okay. Do they yeah. both do it? I don't know what's. I've never had an experience with a striped skunk. I've never been sprayed. I tripped over one one time when I was out looking for salamanders. And I'm shining my light in a crevice and walking along, and the skunk was coming this way, and I actually tripped over the thing. He didn't spray you? No. But I, I thought, what was that, you know? I turn around and shine my light, and it's a... It's a skunk, and it's like, what was that? And it's looking at me, and then just turned and... <laughs> both of you did, <laughs> you both did the same thing. I thought, well, thank you, Lord. <laughs> several dogs get lit up by them. I'd say the skunk said the same thing. <laughs> you, know, you guys had the exact same experience. I was kind of worried about skunks. You know, in February, you always see a lot, you know, the male skunks are... I've been seeing a lot of roadkill lately. Okay, and I had not been seeing them until... The, no, I saw seven this morning, mm. so I felt better. Mm. I thought... You know, something happened to the skunks because hmm. it's hmm. almost mid-February and I hadn't seen more than one or two in a day driving into work. Hmm. But this morning there were seven, so all, all was right with the world. <laughs> I think I went and fished uh, on Friday. With Did you catch any? No. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I don't Actually, let's not talk about that. It was a bad day for me. Like, um, but I smelled them that day. That was the first day that I had consistently smelled them, you know, just driving around. I didn't see them dead, but maybe they spray sometimes and they get afraid on the roadways, even if they don't get hit. I think that's mm, possible. No, I think they get So they were probably dead somewhere near there. Yeah. I just didn't see them. It was or dark out. May have the scent still in a buzzer for yeah, the got knocked, yeah. yeah, got knocked off the road or something picked up. It's hard to pick out one field experience. I mean, you, yeah. you have things that stay in your mind, you know, like being out laying between the lakes and finding three pygmy rattlesnakes in one night. Oh, um, man. That's on the and, list. I, I, I would like to find and, a pygmy. I mean, I have not seen a pygmy rattlesnake since, like, 1976. But wow. Finding three in one night. Hmm. And <laughs> this was at Lamb Between the Lakes, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was in the Tennessee end, not the Kentucky oh, okay. end. But... <clears throat> the third one, there was a car coming, mm -hmm. and I, I, I wanted to get the rattlesnake off the road, and I didn't have time to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> so I get out of the car, I've got my flashlight, I'm a grad student, so I've got you know, a pair of tennis shoes with a hole on each mm -hmm. side where, where the toes are, yeah. mm -hmm. and so I'm trying to scrape it off the road with my foot, and the sucker bit me. Right in the... <laughs> I forgot about that. That's my other venomous snake bite. Put me right on the little toe 
where I had the hole in my shoe. Mm -hmm. tennis shoe. Yeah. And, and it, it was no worse than a bee sting. Okay. <laughs> but having experienced the copperhead bite, I was expecting the worst, you know. Yeah. But I got it off the road. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's fun. The pygmy, that's a that's an interesting <laughs> snake. I've never seen that yeah. one. Never. Yeah, but, but that that was pretty exciting, you yeah. know. Finding my first Scarlet King snake. Uh-huh. And you know, I'd been looking for them in in Kentucky where they're really hard to find and I found my first one in Florida. Mm. And that was pretty exciting. It was right at dusk. And I looked down and I see this black and white thing moving. And I put the snake, you know, and I, so I just grabbed it. And then when I picked it up and got it in the light, it was a Scarlet King. But in the dusk, it was black and white. Mm -hmm. And when it stopped moving, it was, you couldn't see it at all. Yeah. And I thought, people wonder why these things are brightly colored like this. It, it's really in the low light when they're active, they're not brightly colored. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very well colored. They're shades of gray. And uh, yeah. I thought that was cool. So that forever shaped my disbelief in mimicry, you know, about coral snake, scarlet king snake mimics. Mm -hmm. Just two species that yeah, happen to be that are that are active at night and in their color pattern is a good adaptation. That's you, just my thought. Do you call them? I hear other people um, who enjoy looking for snakes and salamanders. They call them lifers when they find their first one of a species. Yeah, and that's that's what that would have been well, for you, but yeah, that was that would have been that. But I've never used that term. That term, yeah, I didn't know. I it. never maintained a life list for anything. Okay, and those are, I guess, just most but, of these. But people. I do know when I find my first of something. Oh yeah, because that's that's specialty, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any other first that stand out? Well, <laughs> I'm sure there's a bunch. There's yeah. a first for everything, right? Yeah. At some point, there had to be. Yeah, but somebody you can't talk about on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, it, I found you know a lot of really neat things in Kentucky. You know, <clears throat> going into Stillhouse Cave and seeing the big clusters of Virginia big-eared bats. Oh, I, I would like to see that too. That they just did the survey there uh, last week. Yeah, the big-eared bats. I've been I've been lucky enough to go in a cave or two, but never big-eared. We've seen you know browns and and grays, whatever, the, all the other species, but I've never gotten to see the Virginia big-eared bats. I know that's where a lot of the emphasis is on trying to protect those, the Indiana bat and the Virginia big-eared bat. I mean, Virginia big they're only, they're fewer than 20,000 in the world. I mean, wow. we're talking about a species that there's more people living in Nicholasville, Kentucky, than there are oh, Virginia wow. big-eared bats in the world. Mm -hmm. And Kentucky wow. has a good percentage of the population. Yeah, we, have, we have like uh, maybe... 35 or 40 percent. West Virginia has over half, and mm -hmm. Tennessee has two. Oh, two, two. <laughs> yeah. Virginia has like one colony. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that's important is when you find this colony, it's important to protect it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's why we're doing that work because there's so few of them that we, we've identified a few areas that are really important to their species, so we need to make sure those yeah. are safe, protected. Yeah, I was just reading uh, <clears throat> one of the bat newsletters in the Maryland is all excited because now they think they have Virginia bigger bats. Oh yeah, because they're they're right on the West Virginia border, mm -hmm. and the counties that they're bordering have Virginia bigger bats in West Virginia. Hmm. So the Maryland people have picked up the uh, echolocations huh. <laughs> with the you know with the bat detectors and the, mm -hmm. so they've identified them sonically, but they haven't actually caught one, seen it, yeah. photographed it. Can't yeah. really say it's there. I keep, I, thinking about sending a note to 
the guy in Maryland that I know, that if, if you guys take a plastic wading pool and fill it with water and put it right on the state line where you heard those detections and leave it there for three weeks, there will be Virginia bigger bats drinking out of it. And you can, you can probably set up and catch one. And then you can say you got them. Yeah, because we, you know, we caught them. We used to catch those in over road ruts. Oh, that makes sense. Mm. Like in Lee County, which mm. was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. I got yeah. one other question I feel like I have to ask, John. And now your, your vehicle, I've seen your vehicle before. you got a Bigfoot sticker on it, right? My kids gave me that. It's your Bigfoot kid? hunting season. I hate. I wish I hadn't put it on there. <laughs> you got to do things for the kids, though, right? Yeah. Occasionally. Well, then earlier you also told the story about um, seeing the Bigfoot movie and then going out in the woods right afterwards and uh, yeah. getting terrified by a cedar tree. So I was going to ask if Bigfoot was out there somewhere, mm-hmm. but it sounds like, you know, you might not believe you know, it as much if as If Bigfoot was out there, it'd be on somebody's trail. You'd have found, him, you'd yeah. have found him by now, John. Well, the deer well, hunter would have. Yeah, I, don't, I can't go places where I used to go, but yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm not going to say there's no such thing. <laughs> there you go. Well, how yeah. could you? Yeah, how could anybody? You know. Mm-hmm. Have you been to the Bigfoot Museum in Georgia? I haven't. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea there was a Bigfoot mm-hmm. Museum in Georgia. There's a group in uh, Trimble County, and they gave a presentation at the Shelbyville Library a few years ago. And Gary Sprandle, and he, <laughs> <laughs> Gary and I went to went to. Oh the, god, I bet that was funny. It was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys. You know, they've got all these slides of it, it, trees never fall so that there are three together. Did you know that? Mm. Anytime you find three trees that, that have, are leaning together, Bigfoot did that. Bigfoot did it? That's what these guys Or a stack of rocks in the woods, you know. Yeah, I see those on streams sometimes too. Yeah, people. I mean, this is like, you see a stack of wood, Bigfoot does that. You know, it's their way of signaling each other, and I think... I can't tell you how many times I have stacked rocks up in the woods <laughs> because that's a really good way to go back later and catch lizards mm-hmm. and small snakes because they like, you know, getting in between. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are big. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to tell us <laughs> Well, if it wasn't Trimble County, it was probably me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if it were like Menifee or Wolf or mm-hmm. Round or somewhere like that, you know, Laurel. But, uh, but they also had casts of tracks. Mm. That right. stuff's pretty convincing, you know. Could have been my feet to shoe, though. <laughs> if, I get my, if I get my my boots wet, sometimes I take them off and go barefoot. And you never yeah. know. <laughs> you know, Burt Monroe used to be the, uh, he was the head of the biology department at UofL. And he also was an investigator for the UFO project that was run out of Northwestern University. So Burt Monroe investigated UFO sightings and Bigfoot sightings in Kentucky, Tennessee, maybe Arkansas and Missouri. He had a four-state territory. And he taught this evening class one time. It's called the UFO Phenomenon. And it was all about Bigfoot and UFOs. And, like, he had the, the three women from Casey County who claimed mm-hmm. to have been abducted. Mm-hmm. And they came in, you know, for and talked to the class one time. Hmm. I mean... I hadn't it, heard that story. It was really neat. Yeah. So, somewhere in a box, I've got a piece of paper that certifies that I completed hmm. a class in 
ufology <laughs> at the University of Louisville, taught <laughs> by Dr. Burton Elvin Rotu. That's funny. He was a world authority on birds. You know, he taught herpetology. That's how I got to know him. Because, uh, I mean, my major professor was Barber. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't go and talk to Barber hmm. about anything. He was just a blowhard. So I, I most fond want to talk to somebody about herps in Kentucky. I either went talk to Bradley Branson down at EKU or or Burt Monroe or Duke Wilder out at Murray. You know, mm-hmm. those guys actually did went out and did stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fine. And, what would you suggest to somebody who is interested in the field? Say we got a, a younger person because uh, you know I'll be honest with you, John. A lot of people who are in school or high school might have personal interest in outdoors or in herpetology, but you're kind of directed when you're in school, high school, you got to go to, you know, you're going to be a nurse or you're going to be in sales or you're going to be whatever the jobs are. And I don't really feel like anybody's, even if they have that personal interest, a lot of people aren't led to believe that there is a career in something like that. So what would you say to younger people who are interested in herpetology as far as doing it personally, just for enjoyment or professionally? Well, do it for enjoyment, so you so you get to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But you know, I got a letter, uh, an email, last Friday from a guy in Indiana who is wanting to get a job working with amphibians and reptiles for state government somewhere. You know, and, uh, so I sent. I I usually you know, I usually don't bother messing with those things if it's somebody that it, you know. They're just, you can kind of tell by the email. Mm-hmm. This guy was serious. Mm-hmm. And he, he got a master's degree looking at, uh, at the interaction between snakes and roads at, on Wheeler National Wildlife Refuge in Alabama. Mm. And he sent me a copy of his thesis. So I didn't have time, but I sat down and read the thing, which was, you know, pretty interesting. So, uh, you know, I just kind of told him this, my history of, how I got where I am, you know, I mean, I got my master's degree and I taught school for a few years and realized that wasn't what I wanted to do and then I ended up working for the highway department as a, because that's where I could get a job mm-hmm. as an environmental scientist and then was a fisheries biologist and then when the non-game program started over here, I came over and talked to Joe Bruna and I ended up getting the non-game job. <coughs> Kentucky Fish and Wildlife, and then I was here for, I don't know, 10 years or so, and uh, I, things weren't going anywhere, you know, it was always, well, you have the tax check off, and here's a few dollars, you can do this, and you can, Mm -hmm. you can do that, took me years to even get a vehicle, so when the Forest Service started going in the right direction, I went over to the Forest Service, and worked there for 10 years as an endangered species biologist. But then my job became lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Lawsuits from Hartwood. Lawsuits from my friends who were suing the Forest Service over timber cutting, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I'm working for trying to get the Forest Service to do things right, you know. Mm-hmm. And my, so my job became defending the, the entire U.S. Forest Service from the lawsuits from the environmentalist and I thought I'm not going to do this the rest of my life mm-hmm. so then Tim Sloan calls up and says in case you're interested we're going to create a herpetologist position so I was there 
I was there the following Monday and started two days later. Mm -hmm. That's why you got to love Tim right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like Tim because he's that kind of yeah. guy. We had one other question I didn't want to skip. Um, Kobe Bridwell um, was asking, what's the best way to observe salamanders in the wild? I think we kind of hit on that a little bit, but they had asked that question. So. Um, you know, the best way is to go to an area that has woods and rock outcrops and walk around at night with a flashlight. Mm -hmm. No, they don't. Uh, their eyes don't. Do they shine? Their eyes shine? No. Okay. Well, so. the, if you get, you know, say from me to you, uh -huh. and you've got a headlight on, you can pick up eye shine from like a slimy salamander. Okay. But they aren't going to reflect back at no, you. No, like it's it. not. It's not. Like, you have to know what you're doing. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, you see eye shine from spiders and... Mm -hmm. Uh, I see a lot of eye shine from frogs uh, around a pond at night, mm -hmm. green frogs and mm -hmm. bullfrogs. Salamanders, not so much. That's interesting. But um, now I, you know, driving the driving the back roads on rainy nights, mm -hmm. you know, walking around at, at night, uh, you know, looking on rock outcrops, mm -hmm. uh, or even during the day and looking in crevices. You know, I, I like going down to Cumberland Falls and go to the picnic area and then just walk along the sandstone cliff there with a flashlight and look in. Look in the crevices and see what's there, look down so you don't step on the copperhead looking back at uh -huh. Yeah. I'd say on here in the next month or two on a rainy night, if you want to go outside and you hear what sounds like a bunch of a bunch of uh, spring peepers, those those frogs, if you just walk down to that area you might find a salamander too, right? Mm, yeah, you might. A little vernal pool type area if you can mm. Uh, yeah, coming up here in a little bit, if we get a warm rain, there should be salamanders out and about, I think. So, I'll, I'll be yeah, looking I, for them soon myself. So, well, I used to like to drive over to Shelby County, uh, usually November, mm -hmm. early December, and about this time of year, when you get a rainy night, you go over to Wadi Paytona mm -hmm. and you get off and you turn south, and then you can go. Right toward Shelbyville. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of the road. It's Rock something Bridge? Something Trail. Oh, uh, uh, it's the Bargetown Trail. Yeah. yeah. I've been on that road. Yeah. And that road, when you get toward the end of it, has tiger salamanders. Yeah. And then you can turn either way. Hembridge. And, and there are tiger salamanders. Yeah. And, and also Streamside and Bistema Barbarai. Now, if you go left after you've taken the exit and go back toward the Kentucky River, you get streamside salamanders and Jeffersons. Hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of neat. The Jefferson, Jeffersons like the hilly, wooded areas. The tigers like the farm country. Hmm. So hmm. that's interesting. So it's pretty neat. I had a guy this morning sent me a picture of a big fat female tiger salamander all full of eggs. It was it was on his uh, on his doormat on his porch, and he lives right in Shelbyville. Oh really? So, hmm. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, he thought it was hellbender. They always think it's oh, a hellbender. Oh my gosh! Well, we have that thing in the fishing guide. You know, mm -hmm. have you seen me? You know, your average person, you know, he, he sees okay. It's looks like a lizard, and it's but it's not, and it's got four legs and a tail. Must be hellbender. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And what I usually get, I get a lot of pictures of mud puppies, which is great. I like mud puppies. Mm -hmm. But I get newts. I. Get, I get skinks. I mean, I get spotted salamanders, tigers, but every once in a while I get a hellbender. Mm -hmm. Once in a so, blue moon. Uh -huh. has yeah. to be pretty rare. Three or four hellbender records a year come from that fishing guide thing. Mm. Really? 
And it's our only way to know that they're in some of these places. Because you get oh. the con you you get, get a confirmation. Yeah, I get a, a photo, and you know, like uh, Little Sandy River. Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot of hellbenders, but it's just not searchable for. Mm -hmm. You know, you know the Kentucky River at uh, Camp, not Camp Nelson. Um, Trying to think, there's been Clay's Ferry. Mm -hmm. Clay's Ferry. Yeah. When I moved to Kentucky, one of the first places I went was down to Clay's Ferry, and there was a there was an old camp there. Uh -huh. Camp Boone. Yeah. Or there were Boone's Creek runs. Yeah. Uh -huh. Camp Daniel Boone. Yep. <laughs> and I went down, and I'm driving along there, and the camp was still operating at that time, and I see this canoe in this guy's yard, with a hose going into it. I thought, well, this is kind of this is kind of interesting. So I stopped. I walked up to the door and knocked on the door. And the guy, some old guy, you know, and he says, "Oh yeah." He says, "I'm gonna show you what I've got." He had two hellbenders in that canoe, and the hose was coming out of a spring. And so it was clear, cold water in there. He says, "I just caught these the other day, and I, I wanted to show them to people, and then I'm gonna turn them back loose again." Hmm. Hmm. That's so I thought, wow, that's really neat. Hmm. So um, three or four years ago, a guy sends me a picture from Clay's Ferry of a hellbender he's caught on a hook and line. And so we're corresponding back and forth. And it was his grandfather who had the two hellbenders oh, wow. in really? the canoe. He told him that story? He probably never heard that story, had he? He knew that his grandfather had, had those. Oh, really? But... He didn't know that you were the guy he, that talked to him. He had no idea that I was I was the guy from UK who had stopped and talked to him. But what about mm -hmm. the coincidence there? For you to just go down there randomly and for him just to have two hellbenders? Well, I mean, you know, when I first moved here, I mean, yeah. I would go down, you know, the Kentucky. If I didn't have a whole day to go go to the gorge or something, I'd go somewhere in Jessamine County. And yeah. Drive around. Have you been on Floor Cliff a lot? Yeah, some. Mary Wharton, mm -hmm. uh, when I was in grad school, and they were writing uh, Trees and Shrubs of Kentucky, Mary Wharton and Roger Barber, mm -hmm. and they were trying to decide what pictures to use. And so Barber asked me if I, if I would come over and sit in when they were <coughs> discussing, because Barber always wanted to use the photos he thought were the best photos. And Mary Wharton wanted to use the photos that showed the characteristics of the plant. Yeah, well, that makes sense mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. So it was really interesting. So I'd have to sit in between them <laughs> and then kind of field arguments because they, they would otherwise they would have torn each other's throats out. You know? <laughs> Speaking of that, I had two questions I wanted to have. One, I was wanting to ask you what your favorite area of the state was. And I think I know, if I had to guess, I would say Pine Mountain area. But is that true? Would you say Pine Mountain? Oh boy, uh, I would say the north end of Real Foot Lake. North oh. end of Real Foot, down there in far west Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but because it, it's natural. Well, it's it's swamp. Swamp. You know, it's uh, it's just so different. I mean, the Cumberland Mountains. Mm -hmm. I like the mountains a lot. Yeah. But the reason I would, the reason that what you just said brought that up was I was down on Pine Mountain hiking a trail last April. And I can't remember the name of the trail, but it goes up to a waterfall, and then if you continue up it, it takes you to the scenic trail along Pine Mountain, and you see Moon Rock and a couple other places up there. And at the base of that trail was a sign that said, this is the plants that you might expect to see here. 
and it was a photo and it was a trillium and it was maybe is there a tricolored trillium it wasn't it was, it was well, like it was painted trillium painted trillium that's what it think, was that's not at pine mountain state park it wasn't at the state park this, okay. this would probably be about 80 miles east down pine mountain almost to virginia we went way down 119. Okay. Um, we see where you at bad branch bad branch that's okay that's where we were and there was that painted trillium on the sign and it was a yeah. photo kind of like what you're talking about where it looks like you know is it the characteristics or the best photo but when we saw that photo as we were getting ready to start that hike Kristen got all excited because she'd never seen painted trillium before and it had your name on the photo you were you were the one who had taken the photo that they had used for that oh, okay yeah so i used to provide a lot of photos yeah. to nature preserves well when i saw that and she got all excited I said, well, I'm going to have to ask John about that at some point in time and see where we can go find some painted trillium. So would you think that that is an area that we could potentially find? Yeah, it's painted trillium? We just might have been a little bit early. I think we went on April 15th or... And you're too early. Yeah, and probably need to go early May. Yeah, you want to go in early May. And the easiest place to find it is on Black Mountain. Mm -hmm. And you go to the highest point in Kentucky. And there's a, the old fire tower. Mm -hmm. And there's a monument there. There's a kind of a gravel circle there where you can park and you go about a hundred yards into the woods mm -hmm. it's right there uh, and it's real common right there. see i would have been entirely off because i always think to look for trillium down low near water i always think like the scott's gap section at jefferson memorial forest mm -hmm. or down low well, each trillium has its own so the painted trillium yeah. is different then yeah painted trillium is, is more of a high elevation appalachian Thing. I mean, it's barely in Kentucky. Okay. Well, I've only seen it. it in a few places. Uh, Hensley Settlement has mm -hmm. has yeah. a lot of painted trillium. Okay. Well, that's somewhere I need to, but I'm there at the wrong time of year. I guess I'm usually at Hensley around October or December, so I'm probably missing it. Yeah, you're, you're totally missing it. Well, that's what we're going to do this year, though, because last year we went in mid-April, and uh, we were a little bit too early for everything. I think we were about two weeks before everything kind of popped out so this year we were going to try to do the same trip but back it up to early may and hopefully we could find more wildflowers and potentially more mushrooms too because that's kind of the goal of that trip is to go and look for those things out east oh so you eat morels i like morels yeah. yeah do you they're okay yeah we we just started looking for them i about kind of think they're right dry land fish you ever heard that mm -hmm. yeah i like morels we also do chicken of the woods um, mm -hmm. I've had lion's mane before. I've tried oysters. I wasn't a huge fan. Hen of the woods is pretty good. Oysters taste like whatever you cook them with. Yeah, I wasn't. A, I if you like have the, few enough of them. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was the texture I didn't like. I'm a, I'm, yeah, I, like, I don't like that either. I like the firmer texture. Um, and, some, and chanterelles are really good. And the wood ears, I thought wood ears are good. And that's a mushroom you can go out and probably find right now. Yeah. And I like cooking the wood ears because when you cook them, they they pop out of the pan. Does that happen to you? Have you ever done that? I've, I've never cooked them. Oh, well, I've, I've just sauteed them before. And when they heat up, you remember seeing those toys that little kids play with and it's like a, just a little rubber mm -hmm. cap and oh, you, yeah. you turn it inside out yeah. and it pops. That's what yeah, the wood ears do. Yeah, one of those do. in my office. Well, when you cook the wood ear, they do the same thing and they just go flying out of the pan and all over your kitchen. Because mm. it's like at some temperature, they, they just flip mm. the other way and they just will fly out of the pan. So you have to put a lid on top of them if you're going to cook wood ears. That's my only... But I like the morels too. We just find so few of them. It's a lot easier to spot the bright orange chicken of the woods yeah. than when you're walking through. See, I don't have an eye for morels. And yeah. I have gone out with like James Kaiser and Doug Stevens. Mm -hmm. 
and both of those guys, they'll have a grocery bag full of morels, mm -hmm. and I maybe have found three. Yeah. yeah Doug is the night daddy, isn't he? <laughs> Doug is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm not good at it either. Very few people <laughs> go from fisheries biologist to county judge executive. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I not only that, but he's been a preacher all along. Yeah, I know, yeah. Priest. Fisheries biologist, county judge executive. I've always just thought that I'm at a real disadvantage for finding morels because I'm trying to find them from you know way up top first of all, and then I'm looking straight down on them, you know. And, and that really the the key, if you find a morel, and it, what you need to do is get down low and look across yeah. the ground because then you'll see them. So if you spot one, get down and try to get out level, and then look across the flat ground, and you'll pick out a lot more. Yeah, yeah not, James always sends me every year. He'll send me a photo of. 20 or 25 or 30 morels, you know, arranged mm -hmm. in a cardboard box. Or mm. It's fun. Mm. It's just like going out and looking for anything else in the woods, you know. It's it's kind of a timely time of year. I, mean, I like shed hunting, which is essentially just going out in the woods and looking for something in particular. And if you find it, you're happy. I found, I found one shed antler in my life. That's it? Mm. You must not be looking for them. You're looking right past them. As much time as you spent in the woods? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't care whether I found one or not. Fancy. Mm -hmm. The only reason I found this one is because I the, the gnaw marks on it from the mice. Oh and yeah. I thought, oh, this is this is pretty neat. <laughs> so you care about that one? That's funny. Yeah. Now we'll be going um, sometime soon, and then yeah, so it's going to be early May this year. Pine Mountain, Cumberland Mountain. Go back down there and explore. I think that's probably my favorite area of the state. But I was curious what yours was because you've seen more of the state than I have, and so the area north of Real Foot Lake which is one of our only natural lakes in the state, I think. Mm -hmm. is, yeah. 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 yeah I like Swan the, Lake's the other two. Is there really? I like, yeah. I like the and Swan Lake may have been formed at the same time that the... It probably was. ...the substance yeah. that caused real foot. There's a great book um, that I read, and it's eyewitness accounts of the New Madrid earthquakes mm. from all over the country. And I mean, it rang church bells in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, people people in, in Massachusetts said they felt tremors. I mean, it was just such a tremendous earthquake. that It rung church bells. Yeah. I, I haven't yeah. heard of this. I don't yeah. know this church, this earthquake. Yeah. Oh, the new, it's what made Real Foot Lake. Oh, okay. Uh, and what happened is that land basically became liquefied as it got shook, and then it would subside, and it would just sink. And that's what, that's what made Real Foot Lake swan. Some say the Mississippi River ran backwards. Uh, during, when, when yeah, for a little I, while. I have read that. Really? I mean, yeah. It was, uh, <coughs> if that hit again, it would, the economic damage would just be, because we would lose Lake Barkley well, and Kentucky Lake like that. I hate to tell you, it's going to happen again. Yeah, I know. I mean, at some point in time, it's the law of probability says it's going to, right? I know. So. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's that area. There's Cave Hollow in Lee County where the Virginia Bigard bats are. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great area. And yeah. Pine Mountain, bad branches, especially nice. It was that's one of the most beautiful hikes I've ever been on. Starting down there low, taking that creek up, beautiful waterfall on the way, and then once mm -hmm. you get up top, I mean, you have that beautiful. That tributary to Poor Fork, isn't it? Poor Fork, yeah. Cumberland Ravine. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Bad branch. That was a good, good pull on your part. Yeah. I'll tell you what bothers me, no end. We we have mud puppy records from everywhere, but. I don't have a mud puppy record from Poor Fork of the Cumberland River. Hmm. How can that be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's got to be mud puppies there, so I just got to get out and record them. Uh, if I ever find myself down there, I'll, I'll look for you. Well, 
Yeah, find mm-hmm. one, please. <laughs> on, what, on which fork? Poor fork? Mm-hmm. Poor fork. Poor fork. I mean, that, you know, when you go past Bad Branch, poor fork is a stream about about this wide. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, and it eventually flows into Harlan and then joins up with uh, the other two forks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clover Fork and Martin's Fork, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh yeah, Martin's Fork's right See, there. I, I've scouted yeah. for smallmouth streams. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I don't think I'll catch them there since I can jump across it. I don't think that's smallmouth habitat. I mean, I'm, when I was in non-game here, that was one of the places that we went for, uh, you know, for blackside dace when they were mm. first listed as threatened and we go out and do blackside day surveys. I'd like to go up. I've never been to Black Mountain, but and I've heard a lot about Black Mountain from a lot of people who have gone out there and done work. Conservation officers talk about it a lot too. Um, but I'm going to go to Black Mountain now. Like you, pretty pretty well convinced me that I need to go up there and just see it. I think the guy, is, if I call it Tristan, but it's Tristan. Oh yeah, his name. the bear guy. The yeah. bear guy. Yeah, he's up there yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, He's the guy to talk to to get through the gates and stuff. Well, well, I'm going to be talking to him very shortly because the way I understand it, they are doing their black bear work right now. They've got Mm -hmm. the collared ones in the dens. They flew the plane last week to confirm their data, and Tristan's up there ground-proofing the den sites right now. Now, is it Tristan or Tristan? Tristan. Tristan. Okay. I believe it's Tristan. Let me double-check that because he's one of our co-workers. I want to make sure I get it right. Um, But John, Dr. John Hash just sent me... That earlier, it is T R. It's Tristan. T R I S T A N. Tristan. I was talking about how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Not, of course, I'm watching the Super Bowl yesterday, and there's some guy named E K, <laughs> and it's I K E. Yeah, no, that's Ike. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 E K got that one. He goes like, no, that's. <laughs> It's Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> it makes it, yeah, it definitely makes it tough with all the pronunciations. Well, guys, I say that we, we've been going for a long time here today. So, John, I appreciate you stopping by, and I'm going to have to pick your brain about a few other things at some point in time. I might get with you when I'm planning that May trip to take her down there and try to show her something interesting, see if you have any tips for me. Or if you need any records found, because if we're down there, hey, we don't mind doing anything that. Anything you find is interesting. Yeah, Kristen shoots you uh, some things already, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah, I think that she she really likes talking to you. I think the the best conversation she had with you that she enjoyed was talking about moths on different host plants. Um, I can't remember what it was. Okay. Something to do with a spice bush caterpillar on a different host, and it just blew her away that you told her that you found spice bush on something else. I wish I could remember the story, and then she went out and found it, and it just made her day. Hey, nothing makes your day like a swallowtail caterpillar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially on its, on its non-typical host plant of that. Yeah. So that, that's yeah, what it which was. Is, which is only non-typical because you don't realize the, yeah. the breadth of its ecological niche. There you go. There. No, that's a, that's a good way to put it. It's just realizing something new, I guess, right? Yeah. And finding something new and realizing something new. Kristen sent me a photo of a of a rattlesnake she found at Bernheim. Mm-hmm. It's coiled up at the base of, a, of an oak tree mm-hmm. and it's from fairly far away. It's just a, it's the perfect photo of a rattlesnake in its habitat. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I look at that and I think, how did she ever see that? Oh yeah. I mean, it just, it's perfectly camouflaged. Yeah, yeah. Um, she finds them. Last year she went out and she found uh, um, a rattlesnake with young um, 
at Bernheim as well. And they were, we'd, we'd been, and we'd, we'd been finding rattlesnakes consistently at this one spot. And it was a, a tree that had fallen over, and the tree, when it was standing upright, had a hole in it. And so when it fell down, that hole just perfectly met with the, the earth, so the inside of the tree was then hollow, laying on top of the ground with a perfect entrance. And every time we'd go there, we'd find rattlesnakes in that one spot. And then finally, we went back, and there was a bunch of young coiled up outside that little tree. And uh, I guess that was a den, maybe uh, a birth site. You would know yeah, one of me. It's called a rookery. Yeah. A rookery? I thought that's what we called the blue herons. Mm -hmm. It is. Okay. Yeah, you know, people try to make rattlesnakes. But Bernheim, that whole knobs part of the region. I mean, that's where I basically grew up. Distillery Lake. One time, my brother went, "Oh my God, we saw my first timber rattler." Yeah. Up, There's a lot uh, of rattlesnakes at Bernheim. It's, it's like calling a I newborn mean, bat a pup. You mm -hmm. know, like that's supposed to make bats less icky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you call it the baby a pup, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so calling the snakes all their their spot a rookery, it's like oh that's a storks yeah, where the babies that, come. That's, yeah, that's just for rattlesnakes. Okay, just for timber rattlesnakes probably. Do the rattlesnakes have a different birthing process than the other snakes that we have in the state? They the stork brings their babies. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to keep you, but Mammoth Cave, and this has been mid two thousands. Mm -hmm. There was a birder over there doing plots, and she. <laughs> this was, never mind where it was. So she she's in the woods and she sees sees a rattlesnake. And so she left the area. She goes and tells Bill Moore about it. And Bill used to work here. And then he went to work for Mammoth Cave. So Bill calls me up. So we went out there to where the girl had seen the rattlesnake. And we start down into this shallow sinkhole. There's a big fallen oak tree. And there are four grabbed timber rattlesnakes laying on top mm. of this oak tree about five feet off the ground. Mm -hmm. It was so cool. It is cool. So I got some pictures of that and then we start going toward them and then two of them, you know, started crawling down limbs and they, the other two just stayed up there. But then we're looking around on the ground and we found two other grabbed females. So six grabbed timber rattlesnakes. So wow. we went back there two more times and found females with babies. Mm. I think our best day we had 30. Wow. 30 rattlesnakes. Wow. You know, like five or six females and, and three litters. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. But it, it was pretty neat. So yeah. I thought, this is going to be used every year. Mm -hmm. We went back numerous years. Never have seen another rattlesnake there. So how can that be, you know? Hmm. But it's that one big tree that came down and it created an opening and it didn't take very long. Yeah. Just a few years it was... Grew up. Grew Maybe up. when it grew back up it lost its... Yeah, you know. it lost its, yeah, it lost its appeal. Take advantage of uh, the opportunity while it's there, I guess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I was going to try to find this photo and show you, but I'll, I'll find it after the fact. Guys, I appreciate you coming by. Yeah, we got to stretch. This is a long one. <laughs> all right, I'm going to call it quits, but thank you all. No problem. <laughs>